Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jack star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Well, the Jack Del Rio comment heard around the world, I guess. <laughs> Now we get to talk about it a little bit today. We ran right yeah. up against it, maybe even a little bit over on yesterday's show with our Jack Del Rio conversation. You know, what's amazing about this, obviously grabbing headlines with what he said about the draft in 2011 and Gabbard. And we've got some extensions of that uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so. We'll have a little bit more on, on you know what that was all about. I think now this dissected, it's interesting, it's fascinating. You were on that football team at that time, 2010, sure. 2011. But while that was the attention grabber and the headline grabber for sure, and it was like, wow, I don't want people to lose sight of the rest of the interview with Jack Del Rio. I mean, yeah. he was awesome on a lot oh, of no, different fronts. I mean, it was great stuff with Jack Del Rio yesterday, if you didn't hear it. And uh, we'll play some of it today, some parts of it, and, and obviously talk about the big one uh, with Gabbert. And a story that kind of went uh, all over the place in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Major League Baseball, you just heard the update talking about the Yankees and the home run record. And here I go again. Are we turning our cheek? Are we fooling the game? Are we taking away some of the integrity of the game? Are we juicing baseballs, fixing home runs, 505-foot home runs, 27 home runs for rookies, 29 home runs for 160-pound Yelich? Are we, are we doing it again? And uh, it's not steroids this time, but it's a fabrication of the baseball instead. And there's some evidence and more evidence and talk about it. Uh, and that's why we are on a record pace, including the New York Yankees. By the way, the Bronx Bombers have an incredible lineup that I think they could use a rock and probably hit it out of Yankee Stadium. Absolutely ridiculous how many big hitters that they have in that team. But I am just, uh, listen, we can talk all day about replay and about rule changes and all this. And I always say this, I'm uh, about as traditionalist and old school as you get when it comes to the sport of baseball. Um, I try to be at least. I, I just... I grew up on that. I, I like the old school baseball. I've always said from 40s to 60s, if I could live in that generation and watch baseball, I would be really happy. Uh, if you could put me in another generation, that would be the one I'd pick. I'd want to go from the 1940s to the 60s and watch Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio and probably all the way up to the early years of uh, Bob Gibson. And, and then uh, then I could sign off. <laughs> so uh, that that's be it. So I, that's how I feel about baseball. And I just really, this kind of irks me a little bit. There, there are two things. It doesn't get me away from the game, but I don't like where the game is right now. I think uh, the game, the way it's meant to be played, is not being played that way. And we can talk analytics and we can talk long ball and launch angles and all that. And that doesn't bother me. That's science. That's uh, improving the game. That's video. That's knowledge. It's all these different things. But if you have to fabricate the baseball to get people to watch or you think fill the stands, I have a problem with that. Now you're talking about the integrity of the sport. And the other one that I always will say might turn me away from the sport would be the electronic strike zone. Because I always say if I if I want to go watch a video game, I'll go up to Ty's room and, and, and play one. Okay, yeah. I don't need a, an electronic strike zone. I like humans in sports. And so those are my two baseball things. But there is a little bit of evidence to say, why are we getting 505-foot home runs? Why we are getting so many home runs? So we'll discuss that a little bit. Get your thoughts uh, on that. Kevin Durant, ops out. I'm, hey, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm a little stunned. I, I don't know if I would have... Uh, 
advised him to do that. I don't know if that's in Kevin Durant's best interest. I, th- I think he's going to stay in Golden State, though. Do you really? Yeah, yeah I think he's going he's gonna to sign like the five-year deal and stay in Golden State. That way he can get a guaranteed contract and doesn't have pressure when he comes back as opposed to going to like a New York market or something like that. So, I mean, I understand like the big headlines are, oh, Kevin Durant opts out of out of deal and people want to think, oh, he's going someplace else. Yeah, it's not automatic. I really, yeah, it's not automatic, and I don't think that he left Golden State the way he wanted to, and I think he still has some business there, and what a better way way um to come back from an injury than to you know play with some of the best players in basketball and not having to lead the team yourself so i think kevin durant's actually going to stay yeah nba uh draft by the way had three dookies in the top 10 and coos last friday while you were gone mr monday through thursday asked a question that we never really answered and i want to answer it uh today a little bit mm-hmm. it happened one other time right top 10 guys three of them from the same school that yeah. was the florida gators uh back in the the mid 2000s decade. Noah, Horford, and oh, and Brewer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I should have let you guess. I, I forgot about Brewer. Yeah, he's definitely on the on the tiers. I think he would be the third one on that list. Yeah. And that's well, no knock. Well, but, Brewer was a five star guy. Yeah, right. I think he was the only five star guy in that Florida team, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Now coming in, a lot of people misunderstood because I did tweet that, and then they were saying, "Well, there's no way you could put the Duke guys on the same level because uh, the Gators won." No, we're not talking about right. we're talking about NBA. And that's what I would say. We're talking about once their NBA careers are all over, you you tally them and you look at them as a as a whole. Who has Horford had the better career of Noah? Oh, hands because down. It's longer. Hands down. And yeah. I mean, Noah was an impact Noah player. Noah won defensive player of the year. I mean, he was an impact player. No, but Noah was always just known for his effort more than his offensive prowess and, and I mean, he was defense, good on defense, yeah. but I think Horford is the more complete player, yeah. the player you want to build around for yeah, sure. And I'm a, I don't think I'd debate that much. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to double check with him and then you put Brewer third. So now you get Zion Williamson and you get Reddish and you get uh, RJ uh, Barrett. Barrett and some people believe Barrett will be the best player out of this draft, not Zion Williamson. Other people believe Zion Williamson's headed to a stardom that is seen by few players, mm-hmm. whether it's LeBron James, a Dwayne Wade, a, a, you know, an Anthony Davis kind of stardom, a Kevin Durant kind of stardom. I mean, could he be that kind of generational player uh, coming out of Duke? So uh, let's get your thoughts on, on that. I know it's a few days late, but I did want to get to it. I thought Kuz brought up a good point, and obviously relative to the Florida Gators basketball program. And speaking of, Mike White was in town in Fleming Island uh, yesterday to speak to uh, Gator Club. And we caught up with Mike White on the TV side on CBS 47 and Fox 30. So have some thoughts on that and, and hear from the Gators head coach, who I have always been a big fan of. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And I think they have some star power now on that roster. They have got some weapons. And this could be a nice two to three year stretch from Mike White and the Florida Gators on the hard court. But we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. The NCAA in the state of California. And now the NCAA... And the transfer rule. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the NCAA isn't making any friends. Though the transfer rule, people can debate this California thing about the likeness and about this topic that we've talked about branding so much. Should players get paid? That's the hot button topic of the last couple of days. And the NCAA is trying to squash that. Yeah. Any chance of that? They might even um, not allow California schools that do that to participate in NCAA sports, that's taken a little bit too far, in my opinion. I think you agree. Yeah, you know, it's like I said yesterday a little bit. The NCAA is like the, the chaperone that's shutting fun down, man. It's almost like a, like a mafia mentality where they don't want to see other people be successful and get money. I mean, listen, like I understand there's pros and cons to every situation, 
Um, but when you're talking about a likeliness, a player's likeliness that, you know, he has a direct correlation on, and if that player was to make money off that, I, I, I don't see the flaw in that. I, I don't see the con in that. All I can see is that the NCAA wants to be selfish and be like, no, we're making all the money. You guys can't make any money. And to me, it's wrong because you look at, we've talked about the numbers so many times on this show. Look at how much football is bringing in to, to NCAA athletics. Look at how much even basketball for some schools is, is bringing in and everything like that. So the fact that these players, um, aren't getting compensated, aren't getting reimbursed. It's just, it's absolutely baffling to me. Yeah, and the one thing about it, and the one thing that makes it not so blanket statement and gives it debate and gives the NCAA leverage to at least battle it is the lopsided nature of especially football. If you just look at football, the top heavy, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Notre Dames, the you name it, Texas of the world, they are rolling in the dough. I mean, rolling, printing money. I mean, it, it is, it is unbelievable. But then there are Division One schools who are battling, and that mm-hmm. budget hurts them, and they are trying to come up with funds. And so the big disparity in in college football alone is a major difference. Now, college basketball, I think the. The dollars are probably, from an earnings standpoint, you go to Kentucky and and places like that, still lopsided. But I think there are less Kentuckys and more middle ground uh, schools in college basketball, more, say, Florida's, who isn't really rolling and printing money probably in college basketball, but does okay. Yeah, but to be fair, Brent, I mean... And this is kind of like the, this is the free market where I get what you're saying, like, well, football players probably have the advantage because it's a more popular sport. Listen, if the, the likelinesses were available, I would have bought an, an Allie Ostrander shirt from Boise State, the, the girl that ran the steeplechase, yeah, because yeah. it was a great story. Like, yes. I mean, you have a direct outcome of how your brand does. So if, if you're one of the best athletes in the world, whether it's gymnastics, tennis, people are going to buy your stuff, just like Michigan baseball. I think mis- people fell in love with Michigan baseball. I think people would buy Michigan baseball stuff, you know, with players' likelinesses on them or the coach is likely that whatever it is but my point is like yeah i understand that playing football or, or playing basketball like out of kentucky or duke is going to be more beneficial into making money if you're the player but at the same time if you're one of the best players in the country like if you're like a cleo mac coming out of buffalo guess what you're still going to get your merchandise sold yeah and, and then that's the part where it comes in where depending on how you perform on the field directly correlates how much money you make and, yeah. I, and I think that's that's the fairest thing to do but there is a huge my point is there's a huge gap a big gap, and and for people who want a, le- a level playing field, the NCAA built on Title IX, you know, and it's, and I'm not talking just men and women here. I'm talking three or four stars in college basketball compared to everybody else. Uh, I I tend to agree with you, but it, mm-hmm. capitalism at its best, isn't yeah. it? Uh, but I think they also could get very creative with this. I think yeah. it could be a cool thing. I think you're right. I think some guy from Division Two Ashland University could be like a rock star mm-hmm. that we just don't know about. Yeah. You know? I think that could be a lot of fun and it it allows people to think, be creative, use their own brand, and heck I think you might be able to teach classes on it on campus. Yeah. And help encourage it and direct it. And uh, I think that's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating idea. Uh, it, it, it answers pay to play, at least on the simplest level, mm-hmm. um, for now, because even that's very difficult. How do you play the, pay the tennis players versus the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback? Yeah. Right? It, it all falls under that same thing. So, uh, those are real questions. And 
but there also might be this solution. And to me, it's a win-win situation because now you're asking these athletes to be held accountable, where if you go out, you get in trouble. If if you're at a party and you do something wrong, well, then that hurts your brand. All of a sudden, people aren't going to want to buy your stuff anymore because they don't want to be associated with you. So I think it also um, ups the accountability of college or or student athletes as well. And to me, that's a win-win. We just hit on a lot of topics. Don't let me forget any of them. We'll hit on them all <laughs> until 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, balling and falling, and maybe for the first time in three days, stay in your lane. What is that? <laughs> stay in your lane, you say? <laughs> well, sorry. Let, we've been let me see if it. I know how to do this quick. Yeah, We bumped it out of the way. Uh, not intentionally, uh, but just in the clock. We it ran out of time. It was for the business, man. I understand it. And speaking it was for of, the brand. Last night on the show, Jack Del Rio joined us. Had a lot of fun things to say a lot of great uh reflection and view from his standpoint on what happened in his years in jacksonville and beyond but there was one big topic the blaine gabbert draft of 2011 let's take it another layer further coming up next on action sports jacks on espn 690 i actually texted uh jack today and i said hey we just wanted to have you on and talk a little bit of Jack's football from the past. <laughs> we had no intention of making this a viral segment, but I owe you a beer. <laughs> and, he, two. and he reposted it, too, which was even nicer. So that's where I begin with this. Jack Del Rio didn't have to say anything. And I was trying to get in his mind frame. He's been waiting eight years, probably for this or, or maybe longer i mean i don't know just the time was now maybe he's going to write a book eight, but, eight years to be, talk to the public or you get on espn 690 well to get, to get for me Both. for us to get a radio show yes. <laughs> <laughs> but i was thinking of it i was like okay well he's a real smart guy he knew this was he he said it the moment he said it. he said this is going to be a bomb now yeah is uh, you know did your jaws drop and they did but i wonder i mean he's on a vacation a paid vacation as he called it from the oakland raiders I also think when you get fired from a place, you don't really get to tell the story. Nobody wants to hear the story, Mm -hmm. right? You're done. I mean, you're like public enemy number one when you go. In 2011, I I think, I mean, people were hit the road Jack was playing, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's like, all right, we want something different. That's what happens. It's, I mean, like it or not, his fault or not, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Gus Bradley could have left after four years and – Probably in his own mind ran through a bunch of excuses or why it didn't work or whatever, but he didn't. He took ownership of it, said it didn't win enough, and and walked out the door. Well, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Is just you don't either we win or lose, and if you don't win enough, then that is what it is. You know, it's the nature of the business. But if you're, what I always say is, if you're in any business, any walk of life, if you don't feel like you're put in position to win, you kind of hold on to that a little bit. And so that's what I sensed a little bit with this nugget. Uh, that Jack Del Rio shared with us yesterday on ESPN 690 mm-hmm. is that, you know, I didn't even <laughs> have a chance here. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple ways to look at it, and I'll get into it in, in just a bit. But I was more concern, oh, more thoughtful last night and today of why would he tell us this? Like, why would he tell it now? Did he want to tell it? And it feels like he's embraced it and he's fine with sharing it, and mm-hmm. which is cool. It's not like it just slipped out and, oh, boy, all of a sudden it just ran. Oh, no, no. It was like yeah. it was fine. And so I, I think, listen, eight years had passed. I mean, he's been let go 
probably not for performance by the Oakland Raiders since then. No, I think it was just simply because they wanted John Gruden. John Gruden was the sexier name, if you yeah, will. Which we is, said I mean, that it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, to each their own there. Yeah, you know, I but. mean, they fell in love with a different coach and wanted yeah. him there for a decade, and, and uh, Jack was a casualty of that in Oakland. Not for sure. So, but here it was, well, it's a long time. Maybe it's try to find something different. Eight years is a long time. Uh, you know, you know, it's really fascinating is he was telling us about the two jobs, mm-hmm. Cincinnati or Jacksonville. Well, he was here for eight years. Cincinnati, they hired a guy named Marvin Lewis, yeah, who was there forever. Yep. You know, and mm-hmm. for many years they tried to get rid of him, or at least the fans thought it was time to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was fascinating to me that those were the only two jobs open at the time. And he said later on he'll tell us why he doesn't even interested in Cincinnati. Yeah. But Marvin Lewis ended up uh, getting that Cincinnati job. So I was more thoughtful today of of why why he would have shared it. Why do you do that? Because you don't hear. I, I think you do hear books. I think you maybe will get a podcast down the road. Or and Jack, by the way, might not be out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's even said, he said, hey, right thing comes along. I might be back in it. Yep. So he uh, he shared that, I think, more so because there was a disconnect big time in that organization at that time, 2009, 2010, 2011. When did it start? I can't tell you. But obviously it culminated with that situation in the draft room that well, night. And yeah, and with that situation, you mean the fact that he didn't know that Blaine Gabbert was going to be drafted. And, you know, the as he said that, I immediately went back to sitting on that bus during the Jaguars luncheon and thinking, all right, we have our starters announced and everything. We got Tennessee week one. Dave Garrard's going to start for us, and we're going to be good. You know, that, that was the, the thing the whole season. And then we get back to the stadium, and Dave is cut. And Dave was like, go, his locker's cleaned out, and this is six days before we played the Tennessee Titans, the first game of the NFL season. And I don't have anything to really go off of, per se. This is just my opinion. And um, I'm sure we'll find out more about the story, you know, if Jack ever releases a book or if he talks about <laughs> it on a podcast. But if I was a betting man, I would be willing to bet that and Jack said it himself. He said that he wasn't in favor of drafting Blaine Gabbert. He didn't know. I think we can assume that he was a big Dave fan because he went to vouch for Dave over Byron Leftwich. I think we can assume and trust me, take it from a player that was in the locker room. Dave getting fired, uh, Dave getting released was a shocker to everybody. Stunner, yeah, uh, an absolute stunner. Now, yes, he had a, a minor back injury, he had some injuries, things like that. He but, actually never played again. Yeah, but guess what? He was still going through training camp he was still the leader of the team so what i'm getting at the fact that dave was just released out of nowhere and um luke started a couple games and blaine gabbert was forced in it leads me to believe that jack del rio had dave's back uh, to the point where i think gene who fell in love and gene smith the general manager at the time fell in love with blaine gabbert and said blaine's gonna start and dave's gonna sit um, I think Jack having the, the say of the roster and who starts and who sits, I think Jack would be the guy to say, no, I like uh, Dave Garrard. We're going to start with him. And I think that may be the reason why Dave was let go, because Gene Smith didn't want to play that game. And that was a Gene Smith move. Even back then, if I put myself in that spot when we were covering the story, is because he said we didn't want a $10 million backup or however much mm-hmm. it was at the time might've been $8 million, $9 million, but it was an expensive backup. And they just said, you know what? He's not going to be our guy. 
this year, whether it's maybe he will be for week one or two, but not by week four or six Mm -hmm. because of Blaine Gabbard or even McCown. We don't want that backup, so we got to get rid of him now or he's going to be on the roster when the season starts and then his salary kicks in and all those things. So that's – they either they either made that – Gene Smith made that split decision or – didn't think it out all the way through because to have him at the luncheon and all that stuff just didn't make sense. And especially coming off of, of a of a season where we were in playoff contention. Absolutely. You know, we, we, were, yeah. we were a few uh, plays here, a few plays there from going to the playoffs. And Dave was at the helm of that. So the fact that... He had a pretty good year in 2010. So the fact that you... We had the luncheon. They announced the starters. Once again, a week before Tennessee, first game of the NFL season. And all of a sudden, Dave gets let go. It, it, it really, when, when, when Jack Del Rio said that, my ears kind of perked up. I'm like, ah, so maybe that's what happened where Jack had Dave's back. Gene wanted to go the Blaine Gabbert route. Jack, uh, threatened to, you know, to try to bring Blaine Gabbert along, let Dave be the guy. Gene wasn't having it. And, uh, Gene let Dave go. And th- by the way, it, it- even Jack Del Rio indicated it's not the first time he disagreed with the general manager. Which he brought I mean, up, yeah, that happens. That happens. He, he brought up just Shaq Harris when he made the decision. We'll talk about that later on because that was a cool backstory about Gerard and Leftwich mm-hmm. early on in his head coaching career here in Jacksonville. He said Shaq Harris was not for the move, but he just thought it was the right move. So mm-hmm. they, not to say that it was a strained relationship, but they didn't agree on it. And that's what happens sometimes. But Del Rio made the move to go with uh, Gerard in that instance. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Bit later on but in case you miss it if you haven't heard jack del rio yesterday with us former jags coach talking about the blaine gabbert draft and well these are the words that got everybody talking the last 24 hours i had no idea we were going to draft blaine gabbert all right did you did you draw did your jaw just drop did you sense the silence <laughs> okay no idea all right, let me just say that again. I had no – in fact, I left to go get something to eat because our our pick wasn't for, you know, for much longer in the, in the, in the draft. You're and, supposed you know, to pick 16th, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so I, I go, and then I'm sitting there filling my plate, thinking, oh, great, we got a couple more hours before we pick or, you know, hour and a half, whatever it might be. And uh, I see the Jaguars are on the clock. Wow, wow. And I'm like, what the – blank is going on and i walk in i walk into the draft room and i could see it on the faces of the people in the room they knew all right how uncomfortable that was how wrong that was okay and uh so that that's again that's for another day to fill in all the blanks yeah I, i know i just dropped a bomb there but the reality is i had no idea in fact uh, my son, Luke, who we've talked about quite a bit, and I had ranked all the quarterbacks, and we liked Blaine. Both of us kind of had the same feel. We liked him. He was in the Nick Foles range, like third, fourth round. He, wow. he, he wasn't He wasn't a first round. He wasn't a guy to trade your draft and go up to get him at number nine. And so that was not part of uh, coaching. That was not part of me. And that was the first indication that my time there in uh, and Jayville was running running short. Wow, there you go, Jack Del Rio. Yesterday on ESPN 690 talking about uh, drafting Blaine Gabbert and, well, certainly a miscommunication and a shocker even to the head coach at that time. Now, that was he mentioned Nick Foles. Nick Foles was drafted in the third round in 2012, a year later. So that's what he was referencing mm-hmm. to Nick Foles, not the 2011 draft, but kind of in that same uh, draft grade 
range is where he and, and Luke, when they had sat down. Now, Luke was only 15 years old at the time, but it sounded like he, the way he said it, it was just dad and kid kind of ranking stuff, having some fun. Um, you know, Jack giving uh, the evaluation. I don't think anybody was going on Luke Del Rio's evaluations at that time mm-hmm. <laughs> since he was 15 years old. But, you know, coming out of last night, I got a lot of texts and, and calls and stuff, and some people said, oh, wait a minute. Jack Del Rio said that year that he liked Blaine Gabbert, that, hey, we got a quarterback out of Missouri. We got, you know, it was not like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we drafted him. When we come back, I want to tell you why he might have done that. Not only for the good soldier part of it, but why he might have at the end of the day said, all right, let's see what we got here in Blaine Gabbert. And I also asked him, and you'll hear his answer if you missed this part. Was he forced to play Blaine Gabbert? Because this is how it all came up. Why did they go to Gabbert so early in 2011? I think a move that really stunted any growth that Blaine Gabbert might have had in his NFL career. I think it was a huge mistake for that young man, that player. I have no idea where Blaine Gabbert would be now. I'm just saying I think it it helped him none to play that rookie year. It it only hurt him to play. And uh, were the Jags forcing Jack Del Rio's hand to play Gabbert that year. You'll get the answer to that question and also why he may have been so supportive to Gabbert that rookie season uh, while he was still the head coach. Coming up on ESPN 690. Six foot six, MMA fighter, former defensive end in the NFL for a handful of years. Big, bushy beard. Sometimes ripped, sometimes not. And Austin Lane is so afraid. I wouldn't say no, dude, I'm not afraid, man. I just don't want to. I really don't want to kill just it. Leave it alone. I'd want to kill fine. it. He's fine. He's just yeah. hanging out at the window. As as someone who grew up on a on a bee farm, I don't want to kill him. But then again, he that's a wasp, not a bee. He's not helping. He's not making well, money. Well, he, he is part of the family, dude. He's like a second cousin. Yeah, because he doesn't. What's do like the king of the jungle? I mean, is a wasp more of a in king the, than the bee? In the in the bee kingdom? Yeah, I don't know. Probably a killer bee would be up there. Because they're called the killer. Well, no, bee. I'm just saying B versus wasp. I'd say like a rolled up newspaper is king of the mountain in that <laughs> one. That's a good point. Uh, I'm looking for an answer here. I, uh, I would say that the honeybees would be kings of the jungle because there's a lot more of them. For instance, like if, if a wasp was to go and try to infiltrate a beehive, um, the honeybees would surround him. And uh, they do this thing called, like, it's like a dance. And oh. basically they dance around him. Like a And, and th- they'll cook him alive because when they dance, it creates so much friction and, like, the heat rises that they will actually cook the bee alive. Are you serious? The wasp. I swear to God. You're not making this up. That on no. YouTube? How the hell do you know that? Because I grew up on a bee farm for, the, I don't know, the 20th time. My grandpa's got bees, man. I, I grew up with all that stuff. I mean, you just said that like I asked you six plus six. <laughs> I was gonna Nobody say, knows this. I've literally never heard that before. Never heard that? <laughs> never heard that. Well, because yeah. you grew up on a bee farm. I watched yeah. the bee movie, and I never heard that. <laughs> yeah. That was in the uh, uh I, I forgot what the correct term is. I can look it up here quick. But yeah. You said deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, so if there's an intruder, like a wasp, or if there's a bee from a different hive, yeah, the bees can sense that, and then they'll, they'll do the dance around the, the intruder. And they will cook him alive. Like, how many bees does it take to do the dance? Do you know? That I couldn't tell you, Brent. It's not like they're dabbing. I mean, I'm sure it takes a bunch of them, man. Uh, I'm sure it takes a... I don't know. You haven't been around bees in a while. Yeah. They might be dabbing now. But, um, but yeah, but they also dance to communicate as well. Like, different dances mean, like, hey, there's pollen over here. We have to go over here. So, yeah, they communicate kind of by dancing. I did not realize that. Uh, is fact or fiction 
that a queen bee, when they sting someone, like a human, mm-hmm. they die. When a queen bee stings somebody? I feel like I've heard that. Is that uh, true? I thought that was about when, like, uh, all bees. Yeah, that's all bees. That's a honeybee. Oh, that's all bees? Yeah, the, the, queen, the queen's not going to uh, sting somebody, usually. Uh, that'd be, like, super rare. <laughs> Cause the, that the queen, ain't her the, job. Well, no, because the, the queen's always protected. Yeah. So there's there's uh there's worker bees, there's drones, and then there's queens. Uh, the worker bees like construct the hive and everything. The drones go out to get um like the pollen to bring back, and then if I'm not mistaken, I believe that the drones sometimes if the colony's uh too big, they'll kick the drones out. Are those government drones? What are those? Those are government drones. Okay. Yes, yes. Sorry, uh, Jack Del Rio. You thought you blew my mind yesterday. Oh, dude, I, I got bees a ton are of doing it today. This one's I have a ton of bee facts, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, All right, let's get back to the Jack Del Rio conversation. And uh, you know, I actually asked you at the break. Do you think this will uh, a comment like this will hurt Jack getting a job down the road? I mean, is it is there this fraternity? Is there this unwritten rule like, hey, this kind of stuff? Wait till you're 80 years old in the tell-all book, or you're not going to ever coach again because it's going to hurt Gene Smith from getting a job. Well, Gene Smith didn't get a job. Gene Smith's been been out of football getting a job. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm not going to badmouth him too bad because he he, he did hire me. That's a fair question. One good decision. Here's one. I will say this, and and I get it. We all kind of say this stuff, but Gene Smith, I think nine out of ten people, maybe ten out of ten people, would say is one of the nicest men around. Mm -hmm. And I always felt bad for Gene Smith. Because he like was so passionate about the Jags, like he loved the Jags, and he will go down as the worst general manager in Jags history. But maybe I mean you could, you would put him up there in NFL history. I mean it just is not a good resume. So much so, I mean I've tried to get in touch with Gene Smith in the last eight nine years. You can't. It's hard to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe you can, but it's hard to. Yeah, I can go and, and give him a holler tonight and see what, what he's up to. Yeah. And somebody said he's coach. I mean, he's teaching a class like in Tennessee now. Cool. Like at a, at a university. So, uh, you know, there was a rumor for a short time after he left Jacksonville that he was going to join the Jet staff mm-hmm. as a scout. But it, I think what's, I guess what's also good, Gene Smith took the dive and never really was a part of the NFL again. There are a lot of people that were on Gene Smith's staff, or at least around him, from Del Rio, who was coaching with him, to uh, uh, Terry McDonough, who's out in Arizona, who didn't ever. They, I don't think their job, their their career path suffered that much yeah. because of it. Now Jack Del Rio got fired because they didn't get enough players in. Mm-hmm. I also said something. I thought about this yesterday, and I hope I didn't offend you too much. Uh, but I was like, man, you can't really throw that around. He was on it. I really don't think those 2010, 11, 12, 13 teams, uh, 10, 10 is a bad example. You guys were 8 and 5. You have to have some yeah. talent in the NFL to be 8 and 5. Mm-hmm. But 11, 12, 13, it was very void of talent. That's the way yeah. I feel. Now, you played with guys. I'm not saying mm-hmm. you guys couldn't play. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, on a whole, if you look at the roster the way it is built now, mm-hmm. where you know you have former pro bowlers and pro bowlers and playmakers, that was not a good roster. Let me ask you this question, though. If you had the rushing title and you had a top 15 defense, would you take that for a season? Yeah. Or I mean, how would you plan that season would pan out? Probably decent. You'd at least go 500, you would think. You wouldn't win, like, 
three games. No, you're right. Well, it also discredits your run the ball and stop the run method. It's a direct correlation. Well, I mean, I think we're top 15 for defense, so we weren't like, you know, we're in the middle of the pack. Yeah, we're like but, top five. But I'm saying uh, sometimes it falls on the quarterback. I mean, it, it does, and it's not fair yeah. to blame the quarterback. I'm not blaming, blaming Blaine Gabbert at all. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think it went wrong. But um, the the quarterback will always be tied along with the head coach and the GM to wins and losses. The bottom line is, if you remember that year in 2011, and probably 12 was mixed in here too, but 11 especially, the Jaguars could hardly pick up first downs They from a passing situation. They played the game in a box. It was like, a, you remember the game where the Rams, was it the Rams, challenged Bortles here in Jacksonville and they threw everybody in the box? Remember that game Yeah, uh, a couple years ago? Uh, I don't know how, maybe it was three years ago now. It wasn't last year. I think it was the Rams. Okay. But anyway, they threw everybody in the box. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Like, they basically played a goal line defense at yeah. midfield. Yep. Well, you could do that against playing Gabbert week in, week out. And I say up against Gabbert, but against that offense. Sure. And you were stopping Maurice Jones-Drew. You were trying to stop Maurice Jones-Drew. That's all you could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe if you go back and look at the passing yards in, in that year, you're probably looking at 135 yards, 140-yard game, 160-yard game. I mean, it was hard to throw the ball. And in this day and age, and even in 2011, that day and age of football, it was hard to not throw for more than 150 yards in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing that the Jaguars could not move the ball through the air at all. Now, we've seen it from time to time around here, even in the last five years, where they've struggled, especially last year, off, all the injuries. I mean, that was an anemic offense by the end of last year. But that wasn't necessarily the case in 2011 and 12 when they were struggling so much. It wasn't because they were beat up by injuries. They were... They were void of enough talent and at the quarterback position uh mainly so and it goes to show you just how good maurice jones drew was because i mean usually when you're talking about rushing titles like i think ezekiel elliott won it this past season um you know dallas can throw the ball maybe not a top five uh receiving core but i mean they're pretty good at throwing the ball especially Cooper. cooper yeah so usually it works hand in hand where in order to run the ball you have to be able to pass the ball as well and uh unfortunately those couple seasons uh when maurice jones drew was the rushing champion um they didn't have that so it was pretty much all about him and, and you know the boxes were stacked and everything but it just goes to show you how good maurice jones drew was to even play with the stacked box and to uh to somehow be the, the rushing leader that season yeah well let's uh, get to another a clip from jack del rio just to finish up this part of the conversation because after he told us about the gabbert draft i followed up with a question about playing gabbert here it is were you forced then to play gabbert or did you make that decision just to play him? No, we, you know, we uh, were doing all we could. Nobody ever came in and told me who to play. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't go like that. I mean, yeah. I was a good soldier. I got up there and hey, this is our guy. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I could have just uh, exploded right there and kind of, kind of laid down the gauntlet. But I, I chose, to, I chose to be a good soldier and play it out and. Um, you know, kind of bite the bullet and fight through it, and and that's that's what I told the staff to do, and because everybody was stunned. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, no nobody, we were not in position, but that was something. You know, going back, uh, you know, I think I think Gene really fell in love with them, and, and that was his guy, and that's what he wanted to do, and you know, so uh, again, the rest is history. Yeah, I know I've opened up, I know I've opened up, you know, Pandora's box, so we'll get into this in the future, but that. Uh, that's that's what I can tell you today. 
Yeah. And Jack Del Rio told me in the last 24 hours said, there's a lot more stories to tell. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see uh, what they are. But again, I want to go back to this part. So why was I got this question a lot yesterday. So why was he so supportive of him? People were giving me some quotes. Uh, mm-hmm. There were some uh, some media folks that said, wait a minute, man. He was pretty supportive of of Blaine Gabbert that year. I have a theory on that. Once. Now, whether he wanted Dave Garrard, Dave Garrard to be the QB, whether he didn't want Blaine Gabbert to be the draft pick. When you know your job, Jack, though, real smart guy. He mm-hmm. knew his the clock was ticking. He was on a hot seat in 2011. It was, you got to make the playoffs sooner or later. It had been a few years. And even though eight and five was pretty good, the failure of getting to the playoffs in 2010 was weighing on that building. It was weighing on the fans of Jacksonville. It's like, okay, are we ever going to get to the playoffs again? So forget about this story and the QB story and who's playing. The clock was ticking. So from my point of view, why would you support Blaine Gabbert? Well, first of all, you saw how he looked in practice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he could sling it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you say, wait a minute. Stop and say to yourself, if this kid can rescue us a little bit, if he is good, even though I had no idea we were drafting him, if he is good, this helps save my job. And I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, right? that, yeah, no, you're right. But so why not support him? Well, but you, you already you saw what Gerardo's getting you. Yeah, but you have to support him because if you're gonna play Blaine Gabbert starting quarterback, you're not just gonna go out there and say, "Well, this isn't really my decision." Like then that makes for a bad relationship and makes for bad chemistry because we talk about it all the time. The show uh, confidence is key for quarterbacks. So if if he was to come out and say, "Ah, you know, like I, I support him a little bit," no, you have to be all in. I mean, yeah. you have to be absolutely committed to your quarterback. And I think especially with as young as Blaine Gabbert was, that that's what uh, Coach Del Rio did. And I mean, you have to do that. Yeah, and I get it. I, I'm not saying why didn't he come out and just land. Lambase the kid for be and lambase Gene Smith for drafting him. I'm not. You have to play the good soldier role. That's your yeah. job. I mean, Del Rio's job in that situation every time he gets to the microphone is to say, "Hey, we like X player. We think he's doing well. We think he can help us. That's why he's here." Even if there were probably there's probably been in Jack's career as a head coach probably been a hundred players. He's like, "This guy stinks. Why is he on the roster?" Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. You have to support the guy anyway. But what what I'm saying is, I think he also could have been over supportive even to a degree and because the light could have clicked and said hey if this works even though i didn't necessarily agree with it if it works young guy young qb well i can we can make this work in jacksonville a little bit longer because again you're smart enough to know when your job is on the line and i think del rio knew we didn't really ask him about that yesterday but i think in 2011, he knew he was fighting pretty much for his job. Yeah, it's kind of that idea of going all in, and and you got to think it is all in, which was one of the models uh, yeah. in 2012. Playing some roulette, <laughs> throwing them from the chips on the table, real That's, cheesy. Like. That didn't work out well. Wrong color, no. landed on the wrong color. But <laughs> yeah. but you you have to think too about the the mentality of the player, uh, and and if he he knows that. You know, maybe Blaine isn't that guy. You try and maybe that's like a last stitch effort, kind of try and prop him up and, yeah. and put this thought in his head that this positive yeah, idea convince him. convince him through through your actions to the media that hey, this this is the guy. And uh, you say it enough times, you kind of speak it into existence. Maybe that's the the uh, mindset. And by there. the way, you you can't tell me they didn't try to do that with Blake Bortles at yeah, times over the last did. five years. Yeah, I mean they had to convince Blake Bortles, hey, you're good enough to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and get that confidence up to what you're talking about. So, uh, and I, I bet in that building, in eight years, when we have a conversation with somebody who's in that building, there was, it was a divisive situation at times in the staff 
and maybe in the scouts in the front office of whether Blake Bortles was the guy, whether Blake Bortles should have been committed to financially for another couple of years, all those things. That's what happens. That's yeah. not just in Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, this, the, the, the astonishing nature of this is the fact that you build a draft board for months, and the coach does get to see the draft board. So where they had him, and then, of course, everybody will tell you, every GM will always say, yeah, he was the highest guy on our board. <laughs> when yeah. we got them, they'll yeah. oversell their pick like we just got great value for this pick. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, for a franchise QB, the Jags only gave up the 16th pick and the 49th pick in that draft. It's not like they gave up five picks. Yeah, They didn't really give up a whole hell of a lot. Well, and I think one would assume, and I forgot how that draft shook out, but I think, well, in my opinion, I thought they were going to go, well, I figured J.J. Watt would be off the board already. But I think the thought, and that was just me speaking, was Ryan Kerrigan. From Purdue, yeah, um, that's who Washington took with the 16th pick. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the thought. So, like, once that trade happened, uh, I remember you know I was watching it live and everything, and I was like, yeah, didn't really see that coming. <laughs> I think a lot of people didn't really see that. Yeah, coming. but for your position, you're probably like, well, well I'll, thankfully I'll, I didn't take the defensive end. Forget, man. So <laughs> it's funny to say that. So we were going through the lockout at that time. Yeah, remember? Well, that's so the we other the thing stadium. about that year. Yeah, right. I mean, was, Gabbert was behind the eight ball. He didn't even get a training camp. No, exactly. So we were at the stadium. I remember the next day I met up with Aaron Campman to train at his house because um, he, he had like a field by him. So we were training and uh, Campman was like, did you watch the draft last night? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, bet you're feeling pretty good right now. I'm like, you bet I am, man, Camp. You bet I am. But uh, yeah, it, it's and that's another thing, too. I mean, listen, I don't think there's any um, explanation for why there was any communication between Coach Del Rio and Gene Smith. I mean, you would think that there had to be some kind of inkling knowing that maybe they would go the quarterback route. So the fact that didn't happen um, is definitely a red flag. But at the same time, people got to remember, too, that season, it 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 was a cluster, you know what, because, yeah. like, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of things put into place with that lockout where a lot of, like, no one was really on the same page. Great. I wanted know? to ask you about that, too. Yeah. So let's stay on it. We're going to go to break. We're going to finish this thought till the top of the hour. And uh, I, I do want to share this because. What the last night did was bring back some thoughts from that time. I mean, I, I'd been here, I've been here since 2008. So, I mean, I was covering the Jags hot and heavy, uh, in 2010. I was pretty well grounded by that time. I kind of knew the Jags, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like my first year and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. I kind of knew what the Jags were 2010, 2011. Uh, we were doing shows where I think we're the official station at that point. Yeah, we definitely were, um, on the TV side of things. So, but there, there were always thoughts when the regime left. And when the regime started to flip, there was always conversations with people that I knew that the Jags in the draft room many times, because what did we always ask? How did they miss so many times in the draft? Well, there were always these thoughts that, and these are still just thoughts. These are no confirmed thoughts. I'm just sharing with you going back to that stage that the Jags would get emotional on draft day, that they would do all this work. They would put their board together. They would do months of work, 18 months of work. And then a guy would fall to them, and they would go grab him, mm-hmm. even though he might not have been the guy they did all the work on, mm-hmm. which might speak – does that speak to maybe like a, a Justin Blackman pick? Did they not do enough work on him, but he was available at five, they could make a trade work, and so they went up and got him? I, I'm just speculating. Mm-hmm. But there was this thought that even though they did all this work, the normal scout work, the building of the board, that some people in that room – would get emotional on that day, in that moment, and go grab someone. 
It might have been Reggie Williams. It might have been Derek Harvey. It might have been this situation with Gabbard. Mm -hmm. And while you can see that happening, because maybe in your mind you're thinking, hey, listen, we Gabbard's going top five. He's a quarterback. Quarterbacks go. Jake Locker is going ahead of Gabbard? No, we think Gabbard's the best quarterback in the draft. Well, Jake Locker goes number eight. Gabbard's still on the board. you got a chance to make a deal. Bam. There goes all the 18 months of homework on Kerrigan, on Watt, on whoever else, and we're going to get the quarterback. And what I've always said about that is I can't blame an organization for going up and getting a franchise quarterback that they like. It's an important position. And it's it was most, about it time to go draft one. Position. So, but if you're emotional about it, emotion is not a good place to be on draft day. Yeah. You do not want to be emotional. Mm-hmm. And then who's making the call? And then do you have arguments and you're not on the same page? You're always going to have debate. But are you not on the same page? So that's just a story well, that I have heard. Now, I don't have a specific reference to that. I just had heard from a general general statement that at times that those that regime would get emotional on draft day and and maybe reach for a guy that they they really didn't plan on getting in the first place. Well, getting emotional on draft day and getting emotional possibly when setting that roster because if you were logical about it, you would say, well, Dave had a pretty good 2010 season. Um, you know, we missed out on the playoffs and everything, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. Um, you're going to bring in a quarterback like Blaine Gabbert, a very young kid, a lot of promise, but very young. Let's let Dave, you know, show him the ropes a little hand bit. It Let's hand it off. Yeah. And um, I think the emotional decision would have been like, Blaine Gabbert's our guy right now. He, he's my guy. I want him. Let's get rid of Dave Garr. So Has any handoff situation ever gone how, how it was planned to go? <laughs> Ask Aaron Rodgers. Was he ex- expected to wait that long <laughs> for, for that Smith, to happen? Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good one. Yeah, that That's a good, good thought. That is a very uh, good one. Hey, by the way, Chuck D says, makes me not understand how Gene Smith got the job. Jack was a good coach, excellent at adjustments, just never hit on draft picks they needed, which now seems like it was way out of his control. All right, I have one final thought on this for now, and we'll get to more, Jack, because I think some of the other parts of the interview were pretty cool, especially the Gerard Leftwich stuff, mm-hmm. and he kind of hammers Leftwich while complimenting, complimenting him, um, or he might have just stated fact. But we'll talk about that in a bit. I want to ask you, you were on that roster. Did mm-hmm. you feel, real quick, did you feel... You know what? Hang on to it. I'll ask you on the other side, and then we'll Ooh, move that's on. that's a tease right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we only have like 30 seconds, so you're not going to be able to answer it quick enough. I'll ask you on the other side, and what I'm going to ask you, so you can think about it, is did you feel as a player on that roster, a player in that building, that it was chaotic at the time? Oh. That it was a mess? Sounds Were like the some snitching a coming mess up. in 2010, 2011 from a player's point of view? Sounds like some snitching coming up. It's coming up next on uh, ESPN 690. Then we'll talk a little NBA. We got balling and falling. We might even get to stay in your lane here on a Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're hanging on the Jack Del Rio interview topic uh, for a little bit longer. Why not? Uh, Jack Del Rio, former Jags coach on ESPN 690 yesterday, uh, became pretty much a national headline talking about the Blaine Gabbert draft and how he had no idea at the time the Jags were drafting uh, the young quarterback out of Missouri. And we stretched that into a little bit of different uh, topics uh, with with some more layers of of what might have been going on in 2011. Again, Austin was on that team. He was on the roster 2010 and 11, and he helped set the scene a little bit ago about how chaotic things were that year because of the lockout. Remember that it, there was almost no training camp. There was only just a few days of it, if I remember correctly. I remember the lockout for the crazy free agency stretch. It was so cool. It was almost like 
we should do this every year. It was, it was like 48 hours, <laughs> 72 hours, hours. Yeah. of just madness all over the NFL. Kind of like, I guess, the NBA one has become. And, it, you know, to a degree, it's annually like that. Uh, around March in free agency. But that one felt different with the lockout because they had to get it all done in such short order. That's when Paul Puzlesny uh, became a Jacksonville Jaguar during that uh, lockout year of 2011. So I want to ask you in a moment, how chaotic, how much of a mess were the Jaguars in 2011? Because I think on the surface, after hearing Jack talk about that situation, it certainly indicated that, well, things were a little out of whack internally. And, could the players feel that? That's coming up. But first, we go to the phone line, Star Star 690, the place to call in here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martino, Austin Lane, Action Sports Shacks, Stuart Weber with us right now. And Saqib joins us. What's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Can you explain to people like myself who are not, obviously, uh, me being a Jag fan like I am, dude, can you explain to me how in the world does the head coach of a football team did not does not know who are you picking in the first round. If it was like fifth or sixth or seventh round, okay. But in the first round, top fifteen pick, sixteen, whatever we had that year, how does he not know? He knows only after they pick. I, I I'm just so amazed that Jack Dario, the head coach, does not know. And I hope this doesn't. I hope our coach, current coach, he knows who we're picking because that would be really bad if it comes out in a few years that he didn't know. If we were picking who we were picking this year. So you guys have a good one, man. Thanks, Thank Keith. Thanks uh, for listening to the show. Uh, listen, it goes back to a little bit of what I just indicated earlier, and that is there are thoughts that not just in 2011, that might have been one of the times, but maybe in 2008, in 2009, Jags had been drafting awful in the first round, if, if you remember correctly, and some of the early rounds. They were not hitting. And there were some stories that Jags got emotional on, on draft day. That's that's what we had heard. Uh, I can't give you a specific instance. I don't know which one. But this one surely <laughs> fits the bill of someone that got emotional. And so how could a coach not know? Well, if you're picking 16th, let's take it to let's take it to the 2016 draft. So good for the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Ramsey and Gakway, Miles Jack. If you're picking 16th that year, you aren't even looking, unless you're interested in moving up to one or two, at Carson Wentz or Jared Goff. Not even looking. Mm, yeah. I mean, do you? Do you do, do, well, you do your diligence on them? I mean, how much time do you spend on them? How do you know how far Carson Wentz is going to drop being a small school quarterback? Fair enough. I, I just think in that situation, if I'm picking 16th that year, and I have no idea who did, and if I even need a quarterback, I'm probably looking at the third, fourth, fifth quarterback or wherever that might fall. Because what happens in draft rooms is usually now, again, the deeper you pick, the harder this gets. But usually you have three or four guys that, you know, or you have confidence that will be there and you say, OK, we're going to grab one of these guys. Now, it gets trickier if you're picking 20th, 21st. You might have to have 10 guys that are in the mix. 29th with the Jags a couple of years ago. But you have so much time for that to develop even there, Stuart, that I think the Jags had three, four, five guys at 29th when Taven Bryan. And I do think like Hayden Hurst was in their mix, but then Hayden Hurst goes off the board. So it's like, OK, he's gone. But I will say I remember leading up to that draft they had some of the big names in the draft who were going in the top five, top ten, come here and do their visits. True. So they were still doing that diligence on some of these top-name guys who were not going to drop to 29. Yeah, that, that's I mean, fair. I mean, because anybody can slide. 
is your point. So, so, so what Saqib's asking is how in the world. I'm just thinking if I'm 16 and some of their conversations inside the building have been like, hey, we've got Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, what if J.J. Watt falls? Uh, if we want to go quarterback, which it, it's not like they had to go quarterback that draft, but it was about that time. It was getting close to that time to draft a young quarterback. And this franchise hadn't done it very much, by the way, um, from 1995 to 2011 and still hasn't really done it a lot. Then yeah, you might whisper Gabbert's name, but I think it's possible that Jack Del Rio was like, okay, we're picking 16th and we're going to probably pick a defensive guy or an offensive lineman or this is the crop. Quarterback is probably not in play for us. I, I think that's plausible. I'm not sure if that's definitive. That might sound like I'm defending Jack here. I'm just saying I think it's plausible. I mean, uh, to me, I think it's and this is my opinion, but I think it's pretty obvious of what exactly happened. If you remember that 2011 draft, there was three quarterbacks that were above everybody else. There was Cam Newton, there was Blaine Gabbert, and then there was Jake Locker. Now, most experts, from what I remember, had Cam Newton going number one, and they had Blaine Gabbert as a second-ranked quarterback. I mean, if you remember the Sports Illustrated cover of the draft, you saw three quarterbacks. You saw Cam Newton, you saw Blaine Gabbert, you saw Jake Locker. So when Jake Locker went number eight to the Tennessee Titans, I think nobody really saw that pick coming. And I think that Gene that was in love with Blaine Gabbert but never expected that he could trade up to get him because I think the the whole philosophy was the fact that Tennessee Titans would take him at number eight uh, because they needed a quarterback. So maybe that wasn't really talked about because there, he wasn't on anybody's radar because they didn't see the draft happening like that. So then you go to number 12. And you have the Minnesota Vikings. Well, they tick, they ended up taking Christian Ponder, but the Vikings needed a quarterback. So Gene Smith wanting his guy had to trade up to number 10 because Dallas wasn't going to take a quarterback. They didn't need him at the time. So you trade up uh, and you take your supposed guy that you thought wasn't even going to be there. And that's the only thing I can think of why there was no communication, the fact that you never saw the draft shaking out like it did. And, but still not acceptable. Yeah, and the thing that kind of sticks in my head is we do the the pre-draft luncheon every year right yes yeah and in that setting we get to talk to doug dave tom a lot of the doug conversation that we have during that is not about players in the draft no he defers he defers everything that doesn't mean he doesn't know what's going on though correct but it, it does kind like of answer about personnel it does show the divide to an extent to where you know, and and maybe it's different from staff to staff and GM to head coach, depending on that relationship. But at least with this sense, I get the sense that Doug kind of leaves that to them. You'd still love a heads up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, you leave those kind of major decisions to that general manager and that EVP position that we have here. Well, you, the last sentence of what Jack told us in that statement about this whole thing yesterday uh, here on ESPN 690 was that was my first indication that – my time was running out in Jayville. And to me, that's the bigger story, right? There was a disconnect to the point where there was no trust left, most likely. And Gene Smith said, I don't really give a crap what Jack Del Rio thinks. I'm making the move because we're moving forward. And Jack Del Rio probably won't be here next year anyway. It's time to look at the future. And so that, that disconnect had obviously already taken place. And remember now... Gene Smith hung around for another year. He was there Jack Del Rio got fired in 2011. Gene Smith hung around for another year. And Gene Smith and Mike Malarkey, who were a part of that, said, we can make it to the playoffs. That miffed Shad Khan in his first year of ownership because they said we made the playoffs and went 2-14. and 14. 
And mm-hmm. it, and that's why then they got they just hit the reset button because I, I believe at least I mean Shot Khan I, I don't think clearly states this but if you kind of read between his words after that it was well they told us we'd go to the playoffs I mean and look what we did two and fourteen so I don't know if I can believe what they're saying my first year here <laughs> by the way that was a, that was a treat for me to um, be welcome to that team so I I think the bottom line is there's a disconnect so it gets me back to what I wanted to ask you. Uh, and that is, you were a player on that roster. Yes, it's chaotic. The the lockout's going on. You're trying to take care of your stuff. You come back and you're kind of rushed into football, and you've got your quarterback that you think's your quarterback that gets cut after a luncheon. You've got another guy that's really a journeyman guy in Luke McCown, and you've got this young guy who's deer in the headlights who we've spent enough time around David Garrard. We've heard stories where Blaine Gabbert, Back in that day, wasn't he really paying attention to a lot of stuff? Because he's like, <laughs> he's like, David, this is your team, man. He's like, I'm not. And Gerard would actually have to tell me, like, you better be on your P's and Q's, man, because this, they, they're going to turn this thing over to you sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it was almost like Gabbard had thought already in the early stages that there was no way he was playing in 2011. So yeah. we ask you, how much, uh, did you guys feel that chaos? Did you at all notice it in hindsight now that uh, all this has come out in the last 24 hours? I mean, for me personally, I didn't feel it. I think we had a lot of optimism going into the 2011 season because we came off of a season that we probably should have went to the playoffs. And if you look at that roster that was put in place, I mean, we had a lot of returning pieces. Um a, a lot of key cogs that were coming back, and then we had the rookies that were getting older. So we felt like and spent money in free agency. And spent money in free agency. So I think we all felt like we were going to be good. Now, like you said, the lockout was taking place, and you have to remember this is only my second year in the NFL. This is only my only team, Brent. So I don't know the proper way to run things and the proper way not to run things. From my perspective. Um, there wasn't really a lot of panic moments. I mean, the only one I can really think of was when Dave got let go, and then um, you know Luke took over for a little bit, and then Gabbert kind of took over for him. Um, that that was shocking, you know. But it wasn't to the point where it's like, and this sounds bad to say, but oh man, we just lost DG. Like we have to sit and question everything. We didn't have time to do that because it was so sudden, it was so unexpected. And we had Tennessee in six days to prepare for, so we didn't have time to really sit and reflect on DG getting let go just because we had a game to win, uh, and we still had confidence that we we're going to be a good team that year. So um, we didn't really reflect on it too much. And now, I guess looking back on it, yeah, I mean, there was some things in the offseason that, you know, were some red flags. But as far as, like, during the season in that locker room, I didn't really feel a lot of discontent at all. Um, nothing out of the ordinary, honestly. Yeah, and again, you had one other year to, yeah, to, to, go to measure it to. But it's still a good year to measure it to because you guys were in the hunt. And yeah. you 8-5, and five, and then you end up 8-8, eight and eight, which in the NFL, 8-8 eight and eight is not a bad season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as good as they want it to be, but it's still not a bad season. So... I think uh, it's fair to say, I mean, and to wonder. And I think, in a sense, you got to give credit to the staff, despite the Garrard stuff, the the McCown bad interception game against New York, that handoff to a, a rookie who wasn't ready to play for making it feel that way. I mean, I guess you give credit. Now, keep in mind, on that staff, you had Jack, you had Dirk Cutter, who ends up being a head coach with Tampa, uh, and you had Mel Tucker, who's now the coach in, in Colorado, and he's been around for a while. Uh, so, I mean, you had some uh, guys that had pretty decent resumes on that staff to kind of keep things on the straight and narrow. 
Yeah, and listen, I'm not sure what the offensive rooms were like, but as from the defensive standpoint, we were solid. You know, we weren't. Um, there wasn't a lot of distractions going on. We we had the the tangible goal in front of us. Obviously, it was a frustrating thing because um, we weren't winning. You know, so I mean, there was some frustration there, as any team would have if you're not winning ball games, especially coming from a season where you did. So nothing out of the ordinary, honestly. Like it wasn't like, oh, this is a, a giant crap show here in in. I'll tell, uh, I think it was Altel Stadium back then. Um, it wasn't anything like that at all. It was just uh, it was a disappointing season because he couldn't win games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, I'll put a bow a little bit on the Del Rio talk. I do want to get back, just in case you missed it yesterday. I think you missed, uh, because this one was such a headline grabber, there were some fun parts of that interview, including the storytelling of the whole Gerard Lethwich thing. A thought or two on that coming up later on in the show. Let's shift topics coming up next, uh, and that is uh, Kevin Durant. Did he make the right decision? I don't think he did. I really don't. I think he made the wrong decision today. More on it on ESPN 690 next. Welcome back, and you can listen on ESPN 690 AM. You can also listen on the stream, ESPN690.com, and also on the video platforms, which are getting a lot of looks here in the last uh, couple of days, but really have been uh, for the last couple of months. Check it out. Facebook, ESPN 690. Twitch, ESPN 690. Jacks. we are growing one Twitch follower at a time on YouTube, Action Sports Jacks channel, and on uh, Periscope and Twitter at Brent AS Jacks. We try right. to we try to share some of the TV stuff on that that YouTube page as well. We so. do. We fill her up. Yeah. We also folks. got wrestling stuff. Yeah, some wrestling stuff. That's right. Your interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, I think you broke that microphone when you were in Vegas because I tried to use it with uh, Sterling Sharp and uh, Cordell Stewart. Yeah. And it was a, a little crazy. What do you mean a little crazy? It just wasn't coming out too well. For real? Yeah. Did you? Is the button in the middle? Button's in the middle. I don't know what to tell you, man. Oh, man. I took care of it. I, everything's sorry. A bu- everything's a button for Elaine, right? What, hey, what what would you call that's a something switch, that's, dude? Oh, it's a button. It's fine. What's the what's, Whoa, the, I'm what's need that a, thing on the wall? Hey, uh, that's a button. I'm gonna need. <laughs> well, then I'm gonna need a new microphone for Saturday when I go to Fighter Fest, please, Brent. Maybe we just go have to test it out. Maybe it was my phone. It might have been your phone, but yeah, I'm gonna need a microphone this Saturday. Maybe we get him a real microphone. Coos, yeah. get on that. Real what's it called, Coos? An iRig? Oh, I have one. You want one? I'm gonna need one by Friday, please. Yeah, we'll I, go. Go. I can go get back. it for you right now. Yeah, it won't come back functional though. As long as by Friday we're all good. It may not come back <laughs> functional. We'll see. Did Kevin Durant make the right decision? He opts out of a uh, $31 million player option with Golden State. Instead, he vies for uh, free agency now and can sign a max deal with Golden State. Uh, what's five years, 200 and twenty-one, uh, Or he goes and, and Which is still somewhere more. Else. It, that, that with the Warriors is still more than he can get from any other team. Because the rest of the league would be four years for like 160-something yeah. million. 164 mil. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm on my P's and Q's today. Yeah, I feel bad for him either way. Um, <laughs> the So did he make the right decision? Yeah. Driving Dish podcast guy? I guess I guess it depends on what he was trying to do. Stop like, sitting on no, the no, fence, no, no, no. Coos. Like, You've I'm, thought about this enough. <laughs> I, I would say yes. He made the right decision because if he wants to control the way fans and everybody perceive Kevin Durant and his legacy, which is what everybody's talking about right now, he's got to go somewhere else and win it. Mm, disagree with you. 
Man, do I disagree with Kuz right really? now. Really? Oh, well, yeah. By the way, I dis- I think he made the wrong decision because he could do the same thing next year. Mm, do I disagree with Brett Martineau, he too, right now? He could have done that. Like, if he, he just took the, the one year 31. Next year, he can guarantee himself $31 million. And by the way, if he's not healthy, he can sit out completely. We've already talked about this. Everybody knows the logic involved, right? Do you go to a new place? You can't even show up until April and really do anything about that organization. And you're supposed to be the guy and the savior and all that stuff. That's a lot of weight to carry when you really can't even put your own weight on your foot. But if you already have pretty much teams saying they'll give you the max regardless of you playing next year. I get it, but it's still a They'll give you the max next year is my point, too. And you could also go win another ring and help this team out by being a late ad, potentially. I mean, if you're going to go to one team and you're only going to play in April and May and June, Golden State's the team to go to. And so he could have done that, checked, cash a check for $31 million and still get his $200 million next year. Nothing would have changed is my point. So I think he made the wrong decision because now I think he's going to get off, whether he thinks so or not in his own mind, I think it's going to be a rough start to wherever he ends up well, regardless. Let me, let me tell you this. If he is going to go to, say, the Knicks or wherever he ends up, if he goes now, you get, I mean, 40% of the league is a free agent in a few days. True. So you can start forming that team, and you get a year of them gelling it out, figuring it out, and then when you come in, they're just ready to go, and you get another off season of potentially getting more free agents. Not a bad defense. I kind of lean towards that idea of staying with Golden State, though, because if you're going to have a shortened season and a shortened ability to gel with a team, wouldn't you want it to be with the guys you already know what they're like and what they play like? Yeah, and that's the other. That's my view. That's I agree with you. Now, somehow in all this, Kuz had one view, I had one view, and somehow Austin disagreed with both. Both, hated both, <laughs> both of them. You. Yeah, yeah. Both. like how? Well, it's simple, Brent. Would you rather make forty-four million dollars a year? Or would you rather make thirty million dollars a year? I'm going to answer I mean, this the smart way and say forty-four. It's okay, just pa- it's just paper at that point. Well, I mean, what's the difference? But he's not, okay, but this is look, this is a guy in Kevin Durant who has taken discounts a lot with Golden State. This is a guy who's been on record saying that he wants to get a max deal. He wants to get what he's worth. So the fact that he opted out shows that either Golden State can offer him a five-year deal for two hundred twenty-one million dollars, which would make him. And I'm not good at that, not that really good at that, but at 44 and change basically per year, which would mean he makes $44 million next year as opposed to 30 something million dollars. So you're getting that much more money. Now, if he was to go to a different team like Brooklyn or New York, well, yes, then he's getting the four years, $164 million. But history has shown us that anytime you tear your Achilles, regardless of the sport, you don't always come back the same. All right. An Achilles injury, make no mistake about it, is a very serious injury. And if you're Kevin Durant, do you want to put your reputation on the line? Do you want to put your, I guess, just your whole skill set on the line to try to be the leader of a team after coming off an Achilles injury for a whole year? Me personally, I wouldn't. I would want to stay where I'm safe. I would want to stay where I know I can probably win another championship. And I want to stay with guys that I know I can depend on to help me out to try to ease myself back in as opposed to going to a a New York Knicks team or a Brooklyn Nets team where when I come in through those doors – they're going to expect me, regardless of how my Achilles is feeling, to be the man right away. So he, so you're basically saying you you expect him to stay, and but sign the max deal. With the max deal, yeah. yeah. Well, but is there anybody that believe? Maybe it's just the narrative that's been placed on Kevin Durant. This, I, it just never has felt like Kevin Durant five more years in Golden State is even an option. It's like go do your own thing. 
Go find your own, le- again, legacy. Go create your own super team. Yeah, yeah I mean, I get because that. Because he's, he's still not the star in Golden State. But is he... Okay, so you say create a super team, though. So say... I don't know. Like, let's say he goes to the Lakers, or let's say he. I mean, you're not going to the Lakers. Okay, but but I'm Brooklyn, saying like New York. Brooklyn, go bring okay. him with you. Bring who else with you? Who else we'll, is gonna come we'll with go you? Find people. Kyrie. Who? You could get Kyrie there this year. So, but then is Kyrie gonna be the man, or is Kevin Durant gonna be the well, man? Next oh, year, Durant's Durant's big. This Durant's isn't like bigger a LeBron James situation where he went to Miami and LeBron James is oh, always no, the man. Kevin Durant would be the man. I think okay. Kevin Durant's bigger but than Kyrie Irving. But I think if he's coming off an Achilles injury, we know how he's gonna be. If you go now. You get Kyrie this year, then you're there. You take the year to get better, and you see where the team is as a whole without Listen, you. You're good to go. The same thing happened with Boogie Cousins. At yep. the time, Boogie Cousins was a top three center in the NBA. You can't tell me anything differently. He's another one that's interesting. Boogie Cousins gets hurt. He goes to Golden State to try to ease his way back in because he had a serious knee injury. Well, what happens? Boogie Cousins comes back, and he wasn't the same Boogie Cousins from New Orleans. He, he just wasn't. And, yeah, I grant he got hurt again, but he wasn't the same guy that I saw play with Anthony Davis. He just wasn't. So you expect Kevin Durant to come off an uh, Achilles injury, go to New York or go to Brooklyn or whatever, and set out the full year and come back and immediately be the man, be the quote-unquote well, no. LeBron James? But if you've got Kyrie and whoever else you can bring there, you don't have to be the the man right off the bat. You can be the guy, but you're also going to have people around you like LeBron had when he had Kyrie. Kyrie hits the big shots, so in that side of the argument, it they may not matter. You don't, have to win you. In, you don't have to win year one in New York, is the point. True. You have to win in Golden State. You don't have to win year one in New York. What's up, Weber? I was going to say, under the premise of him staying for that, that last year of the contract, was there any concern that if he does come back and isn't the same Kevin Durant, that he's not going to get that max? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, listen, Mike... From uh, Renna's Pizza jumps in. He's texting me right now in between making a Hawaiian-style pizza. That's, oh, that's uh, not the case. Which is great. Uh, what if he gets hurt or doesn't come back the same? Age and injury playing into his decision. He can guarantee a max deal and secure the future. I agree uh, with his call. Uh, you should agree with our call, too. Go to Renna's Pizza tonight. Uh, five locations in town. But that's what he's saying. And, and that's fair. You know, I think that's a, a valid point. It's like, okay, I don't want to gamble. It is a bit of a gamble. Stay in Golden State and then get the max deal. But is it really that much of a gamble? Because you might not even play that much. And already teams are saying, we don't care if you play next year. We're going to give you the max deal. So is it really that big of a gamble for Kevin Durant? By the way, the guy's already made $300 million in the NBA. Is it really that big of a gamble for Kevin Durant to risk the year? Um, and, and how much of a gamble is it when you're really making $31 million in a season maybe to play two months? <laughs> I mean, once again, I'm just going back to my point. Would you rather make 30-something or 40-something? And I, I get at that point, I mean, it's just millions of dollars. It doesn't really matter. But to him, maybe it does, Brent, because it's what the money says. Yeah, and, and what the money – okay, well, listen, former athlete guy. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, still athlete guy. Thanks. Uh, is it – I'll get, give you this. If you could make – all right, what's 44? You're not going to make 44, 30 million. So, um, you never know. If you could make $100,000 to stay, no, to stay oh. fighting at the level you're fighting at right now, mm-hmm. or you could go up to UFC, mm-hmm. and I know this isn't real, but just follow me. And Hopefully you'd one make, day it is. And you'd make, no, 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 this part. You'd okay. make only $60,000 or $70,000. Yep. What would you pick? See, <laughs> To, to be fair, though, Brent, this isn't the same thing because I'm considered a prize fighter. 
So usually it's about the money. Now, I always had a goal to go to the UFC, so I would probably take the UFC, um, depending on what the contract looked like and as far as like endorsements and things like that. But if you're just telling me would I take a $40,000 cut um, to go to the UFC over someplace else, I'd probably go to the UFC because I'm, I'm that confident in my ability. Yeah, well, and so my point in this demonstration is you're asking a guy who's already got a ton of money. He's got yeah. a vault full of money. Does he want thirty million or forty-four million? But you're really asking him: Does he want more money or does he want his legacy? Because again, he's not even the top guy on his team in Golden State. He's not. He's got to go somewhere else to create the end of his legacy, the final third chapter of the book, to say, "Hey, guess what? Kevin Durant's the man. I came to New York. I came to Brooklyn. I came to wherever you want to go. The Clippers. Name your team, and we did it. And I was the centerpiece. And yeah, I might have made Wait, eight Kawhi. million dollars less money. I mean, whatever let, it is. So let me. If you're that confident, okay. So if you're Kevin Durant, and your your UFC is your legacy, and that you want to be remembered, then why would you leave Oakland if you're? I'm not Oakland. Sorry. Why would you leave Oklahoma City if you're really that worried about your legacy? Was it because Russell Westbrook bounced you out? Because at that point, he hadn't won a ring yet. Well, I do. I think, too, they, this has manifested itself. He took a lot of heat for Golden to go in the Golden State. Oh, yeah. So the snake. Full, that's right. So in the back of his mind, and I don't care if he tries to disregard it or not, the back of his mind is he took the easy way out to go to Golden State. So you can't do it yourself. And so that's, I think, that's what's changed since Oklahoma City. It's very rare that anybody does it themselves say, now. I mean, well, I'm, not about, I'm, I'm not talking Kawhi. about ourselves. I mean, look, at Greek Freak, yeah, Kawhi, right. it's Steph's team. Yeah. It's always been LeBron's team. Sure. I'm not talking about yourself. You're going to go get stars. Right. You're going to get Kyrie Irving. You're going to get to a be draft the leader pick. Of the pack. But you're the guy they yeah. came for. Again, there were already four all-NBA guys in Golden State when Kevin Durant showed up. It's not his yeah. team. It never will be his team as long as Steph Curry's on that roster. I just feel like the way Golden State went out, if Golden State would have won a championship, he might move on. But I think there's a lot of unfinished business in the eyes of Kevin Durant, and I think he's going to stay. How about the bigger part of this story? Kevin Durant, at the end of his career, will make over $500 million in the NBA. Him and us both. I mean, that's incredible. The NBA salaries are unbelievable. Yeah. Wish I could shoot a jumper or a dunk. Ballin' and fallin' <laughs> next. Hey, a little ballin' and fallin' time coming up on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brett Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos, Action Sports Jacks, Stuart Weber, back down to TV land to do a little work on CBS 47 and Fox 30 as we get ready for the fall. We have some exciting stuff going on in the fall. Can't uh, wait for the end of July. Well, actually, I can. <laughs> but at the end of July, we'll uh, share some thoughts about what's happening, both radio and TV land. Um, all our Jags coverage, our college football coverage, our high school football coverage, uh, going to be a lot of fun. But uh, that's what's happening now in my world. A lot of uh, planning for the end of July when training camp starts in the football season. You know what's crazy to think about? We've been doing this show for almost six months. Mm-hmm. It'll be six months in the next couple of days. And we haven't had football season yet. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it's been cool. Um, and we haven't gone through a football season. Do things get easier or harder when football season starts? I don't I don't know. Like, I don't I really think, feel I mean, like, what do you mean? Hard? Like, well, um, I'm like, see, to me, I more think busy. Be, I can guarantee yeah, you that. it'd be a lot more busy, but I think, like, with topics, I mean, it kind of writes uh, themselves, yes, the, you know? Yeah, from, uh, I think from, um, uh, I, I don't really feel like we've wrestled with a lot of topics, to be honest with you. True. I, I thought we no, would I more think than we, we have, you know? Yeah. But I do think 
from the emotional attachment side, yeah. you know, whether we're talking fantasy football oh, or your favorite team talking or, about fantasy football. Or, or whatever, yeah. you know, or Gators and Knowles and Georgia Bulldogs, Miami Hurricanes, UCF, all that. I think uh, it just feels like it's amped up. It's ramped up, you know, and people are around in this town, yeah. I think, are excited about it. So, um, you know, you can only talk about, as Todd Wash would say, uh, football in, in your gym shorts for so long. Yeah. And uh, those t- topics get a little tired to me uh, in, in May yep. with the Jags, but now we've got some real storylines coming up uh, as training camp hits. Uh, but we got plenty of storylines all the time, balling and falling on the way. Uh, people are wondering what you're eating off the floor. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Who's wondering that, by the way? Uh, on Twitter, I got that. Okay. A lot, lot of hot takes. No. So what happened Is was. It hot food. So, yeah, I have, a, I have some tortillas. Um, I'm not eating off the floor. There's a big tray, as I can bring up here. There's a big tray that I was eating off of, and now it's done. So it's go. like a big you Tupperware ate, container. Yeah, what did you eat? It looked like you had like, k- Oh, that? man. Ki- it quino, was a... Quino, 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 quinoa. Quinoa. Where the day yeah. is quinoa. Uh, no, when did we that had become a thing? Quinoa. Uh, we, so we had some... It was kind of a hodgepodge of just uh, randomness. We had um, some, like, uh, like turmeric rice. Like a... Like a... How, what would you call it? You know, like a... Tiki masala, you know, like that. What tiki masala is? I know. Getting a lot of blank stares. <laughs> okay, well, it's like tiki masala. Um, it's like the sauce in the rice. So uh, I had Google it. Uh, I had that, <laughs> and then uh, and then I had a. I think you could sense the blank stare. Yeah, this then, is a little bit like bees dancing. Google it around yeah. the wasp. Just Google it. And then I had a I had a nice uh, New York strip, a uh, steak. So I was cutting that too on the floor, and then um. <laughs> I, what else did I? Oh, then I had uh, two tortillas because I had to get a couple more carbs in. How many calories do you eat a day? I have no idea. Enough. You don't keep track? No. Doesn't no. matter. I, yeah, I, like I just go by Phelps. feel. No, uh, I just go by feel. If, right. if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. Uh, <laughs> I tried that. <laughs> it doesn't work out. <laughs> it does not work out very well yeah. uh, for me, but I don't work out as much as, as you do. Uh I want, I'm going to ask you something about uh, – I've got to get the ball on the phone because I said we'd do it. But I want to ask you something I was going to ask the other day, and I did during a break, mm-hmm. about the ladder of MMA and, and UFC, about what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, how far down the ladder did you fall when you lost and how much a, a climb back up? Because you got a fight coming up in a few weeks. So yeah, we I want to ask you about that in a bit. Yeah. But let's go bowling first. I just said, yeah, we do like you're a part of it. But yeah, you kind of are. I am a I part guess of it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, I don't know who your promoter is. We'll I know see. there's not a better Iceman in the business than me. <laughs> Maybe that should be the game on Fridays. I'm going to quiz Brent to see if he's Iceman worthy. Uh, but we got balling and falling here. And I'll tell you what. I don't even have it pulled up here, but here we go. Uh, Brent. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, yeah, you know, a good interview yesterday. not quite, but I'm excited <laughs> for this. I'm, I might be more excited for this than actually the interview yesterday. Um, come uh, with me real quick. I don't know if I'm so, going there. Hey, if I, if I love a couple things in this world, that's number one, it's U.S. women's soccer. I'm a, I'm a hooligan, man. I'm a fanatic. I'll you watch really that. Are. You day. like it. I love it, man. I love Dom. I love watching people win, especially from our country. Uh, speaking of that, then Olympics, Brent, I'm a big Olympics guy. Don't know like half the sports. Couldn't tell you the rules of curling. Couldn't tell you the rules of uh, the Nordic combines cross country skiing. Do you but, know? But I love to watch dance. it. But I'll tell you, yes. <laughs> Brent's with me. 
2024 Paris, baby. Breakdancing might be added as an Olympic sport. You're shaking your head um, like a like a stick in the mud. Are you not for breakdancing in the Olympics? What are we doing? Hey, Brett, we have synchronized swimming in the Olympics. Why? I think we can have breakdancing. Well, why ask the question? Just embrace it, dude. Have you ever seen breakdancing? You know what breakdancing is. Dude, I used to breakdance. I was pretty nah, good at it. I guarantee you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. There's yeah. no way you break. I mean, not very good. You did not break. But dance. I went through a little stage where I got the cardboard box out, and I would do a little break dancing. I don't, I don't think you did. I did when I was like seven or eight years old. Oh, okay. Man, that's when I, I can move a little you're bit. Like you're pop walking in college or something no. like that. Okay. No, break dancing was a big deal when I was in that age group. I, I believe we seriously got the cardboard box out in the basement. Because you could sl- you could really move on that thing, yeah. you know. If you were, what, what I don't know the names of the moves, but we were trying them all. Be honest, did spin, you, spin. Be honest, did you <laughs> spin, spin? I don't know if that's a move or not. That might be a different move from someplace else. Be honest though, were you were you wearing a gold chain and was your head on backwards? When, uh, uh, not head on backwards. I did have a gold chain at one time in middle school. I think sounds about right. I think I did. It's all starting to make sense. To yeah. Me. Okay, but yeah, I'm excited, man. Have you ever dancing? I mean, I can I can do a couple things. I don't I don't want to brag. I mean, did the worm come from break dancing? That's worth a Google, I think. I don't. I mean, I assume it. Or was did. the worm already part of like dance culture? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, it's definitely part of break dancing. We should play a, a Friday game where I give you a break dancing move, and you have to guess if it is a move or if it's made up. Or we have to do it. Or do it. Or that do would be it. even funnier. Well, th- th- now it's like Fortnite dances. Like, there's actually oh, YouTube yeah. videos of just Fortnite dances, and my son will sit in front of the TV for hours and watch the YouTube videos of the Fortnite dances. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Um, but That's a good question with the worm. I, I don't know where the, where the worm originated from. I can, I can never do that. Can you do the worm? Yeah, I can do the worm. I'm going to have to see that one day. Seriously. <laughs> you can't do the worm? No, I can't do it. Right? I can do like the reverse worm, but I can't do it like the one where you... No, I can't do the worm. Or is it the eel? Never mind. Maybe the eel I'm thinking That's of. That's with uh, putting your arms out uh, like on the side. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. I yeah, I, I can do that. the worm. I can do the worm. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, about the, the, the eel. Worm. The eel, you can't do the eel? No. Oh, okay. I really do need to know the names of this what about stuff. The dead, <laughs> what about the dead man float? You know, you nope. said, you, you, you know, you get a little, you get a pair of parachute pants on, yeah, and do a little break dancing. <laughs> hey, I was born in the late '80s, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, some people do. <laughs> but anyway, that's your ball, and you like the fact that it's break coming. Dan- I mean, we're gonna watch this on TV as oh, a sport. Gonna we're gonna, gonna give wa- a gold medal I'm gonna for break dancing. Hey, I want to see it in a club. Hey, speaking of sports, too, a little, a little side balling, maybe falling. Did you see that Bud Light is sponsoring esports? But everybody's sponsoring esports. People are but, buying teams. But isn't that kind of like we Michael, a team. Didn't, didn't Michael Jordan? I, Cox Media Group has two teams now. I think out of Atlanta, or I think one of them was in Atlanta. An Overwatch one in Orlando. But, yep. The, oh, Atlanta. oh, Orlando's. Oh, Atlanta's one. And didn't Michael Jordan just invest in an esports team? But, the whole Warriors, like owner Curry, Iguodala, they all invested in like a. $200 million But isn't it weird thing. when a beer company invests in a gaming thing? Huh? Yeah. Since game... Because well, it's tied to kids. I don't know, man. I, hey, do you want to be like your favorite gamer? Drink some Budweiser. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing that. goes better than... I don't know, but it's Budweiser. great product placement. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> yes, yeah. you still have to be 21, yeah, but let's, put that, let's you encourage underage drinking. Whatever, man. <laughs> wait, wait, didn't you say the... Um, didn't you say recently the... There was a, a, a remote control shaped as a beer can. 
Yeah. Did you have that? Yeah. And I didn't Miller. put two and two together. Yeah, that Miller. Was... Yeah, I guess Pierce taking over e-gaming now. They're calling it a can-troller. Listen, I nice. am not in love with the idea. But again, I mean, this is get off my lawn. This is sure move is. on. I mean, you gotta, you got you to gotta roll with the times. Well, and to I me, just can't. I, my school, Ashland University, we did alumni. Mm-hmm. They have e-sports as a scholarship sport. Yeah. It's a way to get kids in. It's an admission. It's... I mean, it's happening. It's going. To, it's a high school sport, a sanctioned high school sport in parts of the country, and it will be, in my guess, within the next ten years all across. Because if they're given scholarships for it, you have to have it in high schools, or sooner or later, yeah. you're going to have it in high schools. Yeah, I think it's kind of silly. It sounds really dumb, to be honest with you. But it sounds dumb to me because I don't really like doing it. Like I don't sit there and play games. But there's obviously an audience for it. There's a lot of money in it. And it's happening. So open and, your eyes yeah. and, and mm-hmm. adjust. Embrace it. Well, and getting back to breakdancing, man, that's definitely a sport, in my opinion, because it takes athleticism. It takes core. It takes everything. So uh, I've tried breakdancing. Not for me. I'm not built like that. So I respect those dudes that get after it. You know what's cool about breakdancing? And girls as well. Is the fact that it's been around for a while. Yeah. Like, it's not like this new thing. Like, mm-hmm. esports is new. Yeah. I mean, video games have been around for a bit, but I mean, the fact that you can now call it a sport and it's become competition like that mm-hmm. is somewhat new. Like, I mean, they, they've got old movies that break dancing's it. You know, I mean, yeah. it's a cultural phenomenon at, at times. So I kind of like the part about that break dancing. I still think it's stupid that it's in the Olympics, but whatever. Uh, I'll probably watch it. Maybe it'll be very entertaining. All right. My ball in real quick and then we'll get to falling on the other side is Bob Lee. Uh, do you see that he's retiring from I the see that, Yeah. Uh, staple of, of ESPN. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, really one of the under, uh, I don't want to say underappreciated, but maybe underrated talents at ESPN because he doesn't, you're not going to see him in the spotlight. Well, right? he, he didn't have like a really like a catchphrase. You know, like he wasn't That's known thing. for that guy. He was more of just the the constant professional. And pure journalist. Yeah. And obviously outside the lines is real, to be honest with you. Take away outside the lines. I'm not sure I really remember Bob Lee from a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's how kind of um, unassuming. That's the word I'm looking for. He was as part of SportsCenter where everybody else was so personality driven. Uh, but Bob Lee, they, I saw all the great things people said about him today. 40 years in the business. He's got good health, he says, and, and he's retiring uh, next month. So hat tip to Bob Lee. That's my balling. We'll have some falling when we come back. And uh, the MMA ladder. Where is Austin Lane on it? I want to know. I got questions. It's next on ESPN 690. All right, it's time for a little falling. Get ready for it. What you got? All right. This is going out to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, They introduced Zion Williamson. I don't need to go into depth of how talented this guy is. An absolute freak athlete. Could single-handedly put the team on his back in the future. Uh, They kind of got off to a little bit of an awkward start, though, in introducing him as uh, announcer from the Pelican, Joel Mayer. I'm sorry, Joel Myers had an interesting way of introducing Zion to the public. So finally, before we go over it up to the local media, style of play, because you've seen Alvin's style of play. Are you in shape? Am I in shape? (laughs) Uh, I I don't think you guys would have drafted me if that was the case. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm in pretty good shape. Okay. All right. What an intro. What what a way to welcome the man to the city. Are you in shape? And I get it may have been a joke, may not have been. 
Didn't really land on the mark, though. I mean, that introduction was almost as awkward as Kuz going to Flagler and saying, uh, my name's Justin Kuzart, and I got, ex- well, I got suspended for plagiarizing. Um, I didn't get suspended. I got kicked out of the class. Sorry, kicked out of a class in front of the president um, saying because he plagiarized. So kind of an awkward way to introduce Zion Williamson. I felt like you should have had uh, some fog machines and some, some fireworks. But, yeah, go and ask the dude if he's in shape. I think he is. Well, is, and he's referring to, obviously, his style of play, meaning they like to get up and down the court. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, so. I mean, I get that, Brent, but. It's kind of a weird way to introduce Listen, somebody. You protect the athlete, I'll protect the journalist. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, are you guys homies or something or yeah, what? I mean, I love that guy. Joel? Yeah. Do you know him? He's a really good dude. Do you know him? No, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. My Fallen. Did you see this story about the drag on the baseball in Major League Baseball? No. That sounds good, cool right? Yeah, the drag on. Okay. So, anyway, the reason why they're, the home run is flying. And so much, and balls are going further, apparently, is the pill at the center of the ball. You ever see a baseball, like when you got, uh, yep. like you unravel it, yes. you know, almost like that yarn kind of, and then you get to the center, mm-hmm. just like a little thing, a bubble gum or a bouncy ball or whatever. Um, and I think that's what they're talking about. Okay. So here's the explanation. Drag is incredibly important in determining how likely a hitter is to knock one out of the park. As baseballs become more aerodynamic, they travel further given a certain initial velocity. Now, I'll stop there because I think aerodynamic, meaning lowering the seams, makes them a little bit more aerodynamic, I believe. A deep fly ball that might have been caught at the warning track can instead go into the first row of the stands. A 3% change in drag coefficient can work to add about 5 feet to a well-hit fly ball, which can in turn increase home runs league-wide by an astounding 10 to 15%. So all the warning track power guys are yeah. now have a chance to get it out of the yard, and they're and, and that would, we're seeing 505-foot home runs. We're seeing 478-feet home runs. Mm-hmm. You know, long story short here, this was something that was compared back in like 2017 uh, when there was a record over 6,000 home runs hit. And that record is going to be shattered in 2019. Yes. I think on pace by 500 more home runs this year than in 2017. Here's the other part of this. Major League Baseball obviously can dictate the ball. I didn't realize this. Major League Baseball owns Rawlings, the company that makes the baseballs. Hmm. Really? You know, I mean, that. I don't know how I feel about that. That, how does that make any sense? Well, they've well, obviously bought it out. Well, I guess you bought it out, but then... But can't you then control... Well, that's what I'm... Yeah, that's... Everything that happens. Picture. Exactly. So, anyway, I started oh, the show it off... it sounds like up. a Netflix documentary coming up here from ESPN 690. Again, it's like, hey, okay, steroid era, in my view, steroid era, the game needed the bounce back, the strike... Uh, people mm-hmm. had gone. Chicks dig the long ball commercial. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, they rescue baseball. See, to Major me, League Baseball turns its uh, turns its cheek on it. And to me, being a kid growing up, Brent, that was the the best time to be a baseball fan. It, it well, and it got you back in. Yeah. It got people back in. It yeah. worked. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, as much as we want to lambaste Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and all these people, we don't want to now put them in the Hall of Fame, guys like that. And we don't want to acknowledge numbers and the era, and we dismiss it. And Rafael Palmeiro, we bring him in front of Congress. Where the hell was Major League Baseball during all this? They were hiding in the back, even though they all knew it was going on. That's my view. Yeah. And they knew it was happening, but it helped save the game, yet those guys were getting crushed for doing it. And it became just a league-wide thing because it was somewhat allowed. 
to a degree. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have certain testing. Guys get busted. They get popped for things. So now what's the best way to get people watching? What do people like? The long ball again. We got guys that are bigger, stronger, better, analytics, video, all this stuff now. And on top of that, the baseball, whether it's juiced or however you want to call it, it feels manufactured to me. And there's no doubt about it. If you watch games and you watch a ball, if you watch that Dodgers home run by the Smith kid, the rookie, the one that hit the back-to-back-to-back, the third one Mm -hmm. to walk off for the Dodgers, that was like an inside pitch that looked like it was going over second base. It, those balls should not be going out of the park. You'll watch the postseason, and there will be balls that will fly out of the Houston Stadium and uh, Yankees Stadium, and it's like, are you serious? That just went out? And so I hate it. Yeah. Absolutely hate it. And I do think it's playing in the style, too, right? Strikeouts, home runs, not enough. I wouldn't say small ball, but the ability to run the bases, situational hitting. There's not enough of that, in my opinion, because people don't know the game as well. It's now just, bam, how far can you hit it? Mm-hmm. And I really just, I think it's a dangerous place to be. But I think Major League Baseball, once again, is playing a big role in this, just because of the home run ball. And I don't like it. I don't like you uncovering all these like conspiracy theories. You're going to get us in trouble by the MLB. I'm just reading. Well, they're going to try to silence us. We, Brent, we're the voice of the people. I do not like manufactured sports. Yeah. Let's just play the damn game. I hear you. Let's continue the damn show. I, 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 I like Chris Pinellas getting home runs, though. Yeah, you do. Welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane. Coos here. 5 o'clock on a Wednesday edition of the show. A little more on the Jack Del Rio interview. Uh, if you just joined us, we talked a lot about it in the first hour of the show and kind of uh, elaborated on some of the thoughts that Jack shared with us. Of course, the uh, blockbuster, the one that uh, kind of went all over the place, uh, the thoughts on Blaine Gabbert and draft day, where Jack Del Rio said he had no idea that the Jaguars were drafting Gabbert uh, at that time. Went to get something to eat. They were the 16th pick. All of a sudden, they were on the clock, traded up to uh, that number 10th pick. Um and all of a sudden, ESPN 690 is viral. That's not a bad thing. Can I? Did you, okay. What I, it's viral, say, by the way. Well, did I see a tweet today from you, Kuz? And did, I saw you retweet it saying that we went viral. So we were talking about going viral while we were going viral. Is that what our show has become now? Listen. Any press is good press. Okay, I'm, I'm just making sure. I, I just, I, I don't know where we're at. Like that. I was just, I was just reposting the places that were showing us love. Just trying to be humble, dude. Just trying ah. to stay humble. <laughs> stay humble. <laughs> trying, trying to stay humble, man. Stay humble. Just trying to stay humble, man. Just trying to get Kendrick, the word out. To Kendrick Lamar, Brent, you gotta stay humble. No. Okay. We do stay humble, but we gotta get promotion. All right. This is radio and TV land. Okay, All right. we went we viral promotion. today. We're going viral right now, everybody. I, I got say it. I don't. I don't really know what it, it it gets you, being on CBS and Deadspin and. Pro football talk and all those places. Probably other about, than I mentioned, probably about five more Twitter followers. That's about it. <laughs> I really don't. But hey, by the way, for all those folks out there, they can jump on the show anytime. Oh yeah. I mean, they can see us any day hey, of the week. Come. They don't have to be in Jacksonville. Come, come, be viral with us. You know, let's <laughs> let's get another crazy interview the going on. The other part about this is I was redirecting them back to the, our original story about it, which was then linking to the full interview. Yeah. Hey. Uh, 
I did my part. I, I showed it on Facebook today, so don't say I, I'm not doing thanks anything. Thanks for the one share. You're, first of all, <laughs> my gosh. Hey, first of all, not sure if you've been on Facebook lately, but I got it. I got it in the Forever Jaguars group. Shout out to the Forever Jaguars, and then the We Are Jaguars group as well. Those are private groups reserved for ah, hardcore fans. Very good. You're in there. Twenty thousand a pop. Yeah. So go ahead and check my views right now. <laughs> of what I got us. Hey, when 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 these ratings come back, you know, in a month, it says we got like a three point one market share. <laughs> I, I want to thank you from you, Coos, and I want to thank you from you, Brent. So the question is, should I get the tattoo of JDR? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just get a, a tattoo of the quote. Yes. <laughs> I have no his, idea. His initials? Yeah. yeah. No, just, just, just do the, the whole the quote whole that JDR quote. said. Yeah. Just, I, I have no I, idea. Yeah, yeah, I went to what? get food. I went to get food. Yeah. 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 You know how people get, like, Bible yeah, quotes and stuff? Thing. No. I, I, I want your entire ribs covered with that JDR quote. Now we're talking. Yeah, that would be good if you could find my ribs. Uh, you know, it is amazing. There are so, like, we're on nine different platforms. But last night I wrote my first web story in a long time. Saw that. Yeah. Kuz did a good job. Kuz stayed up late. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When you guys were texting each other in the, in the yeah, group message, I, was, I wasn't having it. Yeah. I did a good Bowls job on copying on and pasting. <laughs> it's just the way I roll, dude. When it's past 9 o'clock, usually I'm kind of hard to get a hold of. Uh, I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to get in touch with Coos. Yeah. Boy, well, to, be, to be fair, I like half lied to you, Brent. When you text me, are you at work, I was literally packing up, and instead of saying, yes, I'm here, and then waiting for you to send me this stuff, I just said I was at home. Oh, no, that was good. I, I, I could care less if you're on the moon, as long as you could get it on the internet. Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> because what happens, it's crazy, and people, I don't know if it's good, bad, whatever. There was a place, like, the first place I saw it land mm-hmm. was a place called Sports Knot, like, like, almost like Astronaut, but it's called Sports Knot, huh. and yeah. I have never heard of it. Yeah. But it had like the quotes and some of the tweets that were around it, and I was like, "Geez, where? Who is that? Like, yeah. what is that?" Yeah. And then, you know, then it was on Yahoo, then NFL. dot com put it on on their yeah. thing. And I was like, "Wait a minute, we should probably write our own story." Good call. And that's what we I said back to you. They were thousands. Fast. So, uh, thank God uh, you didn't ask me to do that part. Uh, inside the business. All right, hey, before yeah. we get uh, let's go to Happy Hour Horn. It's 5 o'clock. Uh, we only have three of these left in the week, but how about a midweek Happy Hour Horn brought to you by Vita DeLuis? for two requests and Coos gave me Jack Del Rio and Blaine Gabbert. Um, pretty standard. I think I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah, I don't Grab even know drink, how you Get do a it. shot and tip your star tenders. Yeah, I don't know, Jack. Like, could you do a teammate? Like, is there a teammate that's distinctive enough that we would be able to figure it out? <sighs> yeah, but I need some time with it. I can't. No one's... Like, I'm trying to think of something. Like, now, if you could do Calais Campbell's voice... It would be, oh, I can't do that. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how many people can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brent's going there. Brent's taking it there. Daniel Davis. You should have done like, oh, They did uh, at the uh, NBA Awards, the guy that was pretending to be Shaq. Uh, Shaq. Who yeah. was oh. I heard it was pretty good. I never did see it. I just I read that it was pretty good. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, you know what else pretty good? What's that? Uh, Vita de Luis. Locally owned tequila right here in Jacksonville. Made in tequila, Mexico, and shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita de Luis tequila. One of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. For locations, recipes, and merchandise. Visit VitaDeLouis.com. Drink responsibly and go ahead. You never did share. <laughs> With what? What? You never even said it. 
Hey, I said grab a drink, get a shot, tip your star tenders. You did? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were you're all right. a creative voice. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> I said I had nothing. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a guy from back in that in your era. Yeah. That would um, be a distinctive voice. I really can't find much. Nothing comes to uh, top of my mind. I got nothing, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry I let everybody down today. That's no problem. <laughs> uh, before I get back to the Del Rio stuff on the Leftwich and, and uh, David Garrard front, like mm-hmm. early in the career, which actually led us to the Gabbert question and, and the Gabbert revelation of the draft night, uh, I wanted to ask you about MMA. Yeah. UFC. Yes. You have a fight coming up in July. July 20th, correct. I mean, Tallahassee. Yes. When are you not allowed to say opponent yet? We don't know yet. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. They haven't announced it yet, Brent. No I don't know. I mean, it's only like four it, weeks away. It's but, not you know, that important. Want to... <laughs> uh, yeah, as long as we know you're fighting there Tallahassee, go. July 20th. Okay. So, you know, when you lost to Hardy, yes. you had the chance to, that was kind of like the doorstep of UFC, right? Oh, yeah. If I would have won that fight, I would be in the UFC right now. Yeah, and probably, probably not on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. See how things yeah. work out? Yeah, Everything you, works out for you, a reason. You probably would have called me to come on the 25th uh, anniversary yeah, for the show, would've. and I would have hit the client a couple times. Yep. Yeah, so probably would have answered me back. No, definitely like not. Like half your freaking people do. Definitely not, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Half the, half the team. They oh, don't, come, oh, they don't respond. Brent's, Brent's trying to call me. Yeah, click. Nope, we're good. Right, by the way, they don't respond to blocked. you either. They don't respond to me either. I didn't say anything, man. <laughs> Guys, uh, yeah. I was like, half the time I've been like, who came up with this idea to get a Jags player on? <laughs> Definitely wasn't me. That's why I didn't bring day. it up. That was your idea, man. Not easy. That was all but your idea. But guess what? We got Jack Del Rio. We got Jack Del Rio. Yeah, we had a lot of great, 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 great interviews. Been, it's been a fun segment. Mike Sims, Mike Sims Walker going to join oh, us today. Yes. Yep. So uh, we'll have that coming up in just a little bit. But I, I love that's been really fun this whole month. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Okay, so you dropped down the ladder. I actually asked you this off the air yesterday. Mm-hmm. So you dropped down the. You, obviously, you don't go to the USC. No. So how how far I go f- to Uber? You went to Uber. Yes. <laughs> and then Action Sports Shacks on ESPN six ninety. Yeah. So how far of a fall was it in yeah. the ranks of MMA to now say, okay, you've already had one fight since, yeah. right? You yep. just – actually, did you – I had a couple a, since. A couple yeah. since. Yeah, yeah. So you just had one fight recently. Yes. You got another one coming up in July. Correct. So, I mean, how many rungs up the ladder did you fall yeah. losing to Hardy, and how many more rungs up the ladder do you do have to, to even to even maybe get a chance? Some guys it's, don't get another chance. No, it's, it's a legitimate question. Um, thankfully, me being a heavyweight – uh, that ladder is very short because you think about um, the the landscape of the UFC, Brent. It's it's different because you think of prime athletes, you think of these heavy heavy hitters. Well, there's not a lot of them in the UFC. Okay, at heavyweight, usually the average age of a heavyweight UFC fighter nowadays, I'd probably say 33, 34 years old because usually how it works is in the fight game is you're in your prime, like in your in your late 20s to early 30s. But it's different for heavyweights because they always say the last thing to go is your power. Well, if you weigh over 205 pounds, you hit somebody on that button, they're probably going to go to sleep, assuming you know how to throw a punch. Mm-hmm. So, they're, uh, so the life expectancy of a heavyweight um, is a lot longer than as opposed to a bantamweight who weighs 135 pounds. So from my perspective, from my position, yes, when I lost the Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, I did drop down the ladder a little bit, but it really wasn't that much just because there's always a demand for heavyweights in the UFC and that 
let's be honest, people pay for knockouts. People pay for for the bigger guys, and that's not that's nothing to knock like featherweights or bantamweights. You know, like a featherweight, Brent, for instance, is 145 pounds. And before Conor McGregor came by, um, it wasn't really that big of a division. What stood, what set Conor McGregor apart from anybody? Like, yes, he was an Irishman. He brought the country with him. He was a big talker, but he could also knock people out. And when you start to get in, in the weight classes of bantamweight of 135, of the featherweight of 145, or even a lightweight at 155, you start to see um, guys don't necessarily knock each other out all the time. And in doing so, that, that can make boring fights. For instance, back in the day, and probably the greatest champion of all time. Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He fought at 125. He was a flyweight. Um, Brent, he defended his belt, I want to say, 13 or 14 times. Don't quote me on it. it. It's the UFC record. You could put him down as the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time. But guess what? He wasn't knocking people out, and he wasn't getting paid because, to be fair, no one wanted to watch him because the action from their from the casual fans' perspective was like, well, you know, these guys are tiny. Yeah, they're they're throwing. They're really skilled, but they're they're not knocking people out. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's always going to come down to the knockouts, the action, um, almost like the violence, if you will. They want to see home runs. They want to see home runs exactly, and that's where the heavyweights come in. And you know, uh, thankfully for me and where I'm sitting right now, a lot of guys that are that weight 265 pounds that are athletic are either playing different sports or they're not fighting. So um, from that perspective, all it takes, I think, is a couple more for me to get back in the win column and uh, hope he'll get a call up. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, yeah. uh, and you, I, I understand by the way, when I ask a question, I don't necessarily say, well, if I win two more fights or three more fights yeah, or whatever, yeah, I know yeah. it's kind of you don't really know, No, but there are some, like you just said, you know, if you fall down that ladder into 135 pounds, yeah. you might oh. not ever get back up the ladder. Yeah, for but instance, in heavyweight, you just said you can at least get a chance to get exactly. back up the ladder. And that's what people don't really understand. Like, it, it's because the new season of Dana White's Contender Series is going on right now. If you're watching, like, the Ultimate Fighter, you know, and you see these guys losing the cage at lightweight at 155 or featherweight 145, and you see these guys lose and they're all emotional in the cage, it's like, hey, what are you getting another fight? It doesn't work like that. Yeah, because that was their chance. That was your opportunity because you have to remember uh, – there's a million and 145 pounders out there, you know, and you have to try to set yourself apart from everybody. And if you lose even one match on the big stage, you may never get another shot because at that, um, at, you know, at that weight, they're a dime a dozen. As bad as that sounds, they are a dime a dozen. So unless, you know, you're good on the microphone, unless you have the KO power, unless you're the entertaining fighter, uh, if you blow your one chance, you may never get another one again. Yeah, let me ask you this. Well, one more question about it because now I'm, I'm intrigued. Yes. Uh, how do you know if you don't fight often, which you don't, mm-hmm. like are you a better fighter than you were the night you lost to Hardy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right, but how do you even know? I mean, so, okay, you've had two fights. So here's here's what I always say. Um, you either win or you learn. And when you win in fights, yeah, you go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, I did good there, I did good there. But And, yeah, you might make some mistakes, but you won the fight. Like, after that Hardy fight, I mean, we went back to square one on the drawing board. You know, because during that Hardy fight, um, I was trying to throw a lot of different things at him, a lot of different looks from as opposed to switching from orthodox to southpaw, which means uh, instead of, like, leading with my left hand, I was leading with my right hand. So I was doing a lot of different things that I thought was going to confuse him, and he obviously saw through that. So after that fight, we went back to the drawing board and said, listen, um, I have the power, I have the athleticism, I have the footwork, the head movement. 
Let's just go back to the basics, you know, and let's just go back from square one. Don't outsmart it. Yeah, Don't exactly. Outthink it. Don't outthink it. Exactly. And then you look at some of the um, some of the greatest MMA champions, uh, set aside from John Jones because he's a freak of nature, but uh, other guys, you know, I mean, they don't throw a lot of crazy things at you. Now, Conor McGregor has before, too. But for the most part, um, a lot of the champions rely on just crisp, you know, one-two crosses and things like that. So that's what we went back to. We yeah. just went back to the basics, and um, do it, it, it's do been it great well. ever since. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. July 20th uh, is uh, the next fight for you in yeah. Tallahassee. Uh, maybe we get like a bus, a caravan. I don't know. How we got to figure this out. Oh, yeah. I mean, gonna it, it, if Jack Dorito's going to come there, too, he said he might. You remember? So. That was cool. He actually he said and wrote it down, and I like I believe him. I think yeah. he was writing it down. He's yeah. out in Destin, so Destin to Tallahassee. I don't know exactly how far, but it's not. can't be that far. Not a bad little uh, thing. Seems like a couple hours. Yeah. Uh, hey, speaking of Jack Del Rio, who's been a major topic uh, the last day or so, especially here on this show, on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I the other part of the – there are so many different parts I thought were really cool with Jack, and you can listen to the entire interview on the podcast or on any of the video platforms. Uh, podcast is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. But the Leftwich to Garrard decision also was a little bit of a – I don't want to say disagreement, but it was definitely a, a gut call from Jack Del Rio versus what Shaq Harris, the GM – wanted to do he wanted to stay with leftwich but it ultimately was a very good decision for jack del rio and the jacksonville jaguars to go with david garrard here's a little bit of that conversation from yesterday well you know we were really struggling with uh with with byron and and uh kind of struggling with who who should be playing byron or or david uh byron was the first round pick not just a high pick a first round pick. yeah and uh james shack harris was squarely in the corner of Byron. And so it wasn't an easy decision to come to, uh, but I felt like I had to do it. I studied them and, and what I determined when I was when I was studying them, the two of them. Uh, Byron was a very quick decision maker, super, super bright. And he didn't always articulate it that way, so he didn't always come across as the guy who was really bright. But he's sharp. He is really really smart and, and understands football and understands concepts, can read defenses, and he gets it quick. Um, but his delivery is so damn slow. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he'd reach back and it'd take forever to get rid of the ball. So, so in, in watching the two, David was like, took a little longer to make his mind up. And, and the two of them, but he had a really quick release. And the two of them, ironically, would get the ball – to the same point, almost identical identical times. The difference is David had the ability to extend plays. He could take off with his feet. Heck, he was, you know, David could throw out of a phone booth. Very short, compact delivery, and he had the ability to extend plays with his feet, and I just felt that David would help us win more. Well, it turned out uh, I think Jack Delweer was right in that decision. Uh, I found it fascinating going back to that Obviously, he talked about the windup of of Leftwich, but also talked about the smarts of Leftwich. And two days ago, we had Jenna Lane on, covers the Tampa Bay Bucks, and we spent a lot of time talking about Byron Leftwich and how he's a rising star in the coaching ranks, now the offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. So it's interesting how Jack talked about that and the positives and negatives of Leftwich and how the positives have played out. He was a backup for a long time, a long time to Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But 
now he's going to be a head coach someday. Certainly looks that way. Mm-hmm. Don't you get the feel that Byron Lutzowicz will be a head coach? And to see that was, you could notice that even back in the day when things didn't work out from a quarterback standpoint. Um, I thought was was pretty interesting to hear from from Jack Del Rio. Absolutely, and it's you know it's funny how sometimes those backup quarterbacks can make great head coaches. I mean, Doug Peterson looked no farther than him. Well, look Frank Reich now and Frank Reich, yeah, exactly. And it, it seems to be the trend that we've talked about before, where uh, you know the NFL is going towards more of the offensive minded head coaches. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Leftwich is a head coach in the next couple years or so. But uh, it, it was interesting hearing about his release and everything yeah. like that. What Jack was saying. You know, it was also was interesting. I covered. Garrard quite a bit, 08, 9, 10, uh, early on in 11. And I never really, I, I guess I never characterized him from that standpoint of quick release guy. Mm. You know, I, I, you know, I think quick release, I think Dan Marino, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I think at that time, Garrard was kind of a little bit of a punching bag for the fans, things weren't going well in 08, and they really had high expectations. 09, not so much. 10, obviously the disappointment, even though he had a halfway decent year that year, and, th- and then that was it. So for the most part of my time covering Garrard, it was more he was a bit of a punching bag of why things are going wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I, I maybe you just didn't hear it as much. He had already been here for a handful of years. Uh, but I never really heard it mentioned a lot. Like, hey, this is one of his attributes, quick release, quick release. So it was more his mobility, his size, his ability to get out of trouble in traffic. And obviously that was the reason Jack Del Rio went with him. So I thought it was interesting to hear Del Rio talk about that as one of his strengths. And obviously in relationship to Byron Leftwich, well, that was easy because Leftwich had somewhat of the, he had the Tebow wind up, you know. Yeah. And in the NFL, it just doesn't work. It just mm-hmm. it's in a split second league it doesn't work. Oh yeah, I mean it's a, it's a game of inches and it's a game of fractions of seconds. And yeah, if if you have that slow wind up, um you won't be too successful. No, uh, and it looks like end of the day I don't think you'll get too many people that argue that Jack made the right decision there. You know, two no. playoff runs, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of wins. I mean, I mean all obviously I know, David Garrard doesn't say it's a, a bad decision. I mean, turned into a sixty million dollar contract. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, and the, the Jaguars weren't really on my radar in college or anything like that before I got to the team. But all I know is when I got to the team back in two thousand ten, I mean, you got the feeling that Dave was the guy and and he was the leader, um, and he was going to lead you to to some wins, and that's exactly what he did. And then, like I said before, uh, just the way things kind of ended, man, it was uh, it was a crazy scene to say the least. One of the fun things about what we've done here in the month of June and visiting with former Jags players, 25th season celebration, I think was the Del Rio's part of that story yesterday. And a week earlier, we had David Garrard sharing the same story from mm-hmm. his perspective. Yeah. You know, the whole I was sleeping and I thought it was a joke and didn't even know it was real at the time. So I thought that was pretty cool. In the last month, we've had Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell, Maurice Jones-Drew, Rasheen Mathis, Brad Meester, Russell Allen, Joe Zelenka, Kyle Brady, Cecil Shorts, Will Blackman, David Garrard. Uh, Yur- Yur- Yurko was here. Yurkovich, of course, Tim Cedar, uh, which you'd really have to Google to find, but it was part of Alumni Day with Ashland University and my alma mater. Uh, Joel Schmange, uh, Brian Sexton joined us last Friday. Jack Del Rio on Tuesday. Who do we have on Monday? Why can't I remember? Who did we just have? I didn't write it down. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> um, who just joined us on Monday? I forget. I'll fill, fill in yeah. the blank. But we've had all those folks coming up next. Former Jags wide receiver Mike Sims Walker on the show. And 
He's got a little Florida State recruiting tip or two. Okay. And then maybe he can finally teach me how to do, do the, the Chopper, Chopper City, City juke. juke or what? I've tried so long to do it, and I, can't, I just can't do it. I don't have the dirt, dexterity, I guess you'd call it, to do it. Maybe that will be part of breakdancing in the Olympics. <laughs> Mike Sims Walker next on ESPN 690. A different former Jaguar on the show every day in the month of June. And if we broke it down by position, I think wide receiver would lead the way. Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell, Cecil Shorts the third. And now this guy, Mike Sims Walker. Brent Martin, along with former Jag Austin Lane here on ESPN 690. Say hello to the player that really never had to leave Florida much except for a small stint in the CFL and also St. Louis. Played his high school ball in Orlando, his college ball at UCF, and much of his pro ball here in Jacksonville for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What's up, Mike Sims Walker? Man, what's going on? How you been, man? It's been a long time. It sure has been a long time. Thanks for uh, answering your phone and coming on with us for a few minutes. No problem, man. Still got the same number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, what, we were just talking about this, and sometimes I ask before we come on, and then sometimes I just put you on the spot. But uh, just as intriguing as playing for the Jags and how you remember your career to me, and I think to so many of the listeners, is what are you doing now? Uh, what have you been up to? Life after football. Uh um, family man, married with kids, and uh, you know, I coach a little high school football just to keep, just to get around the game and run a trucking company. So, uh, kind of staying busy actually. Pretty Fantastic. cool. Hey, Mike, what's up, man? It's it's uh, it's Austin Lane here, your former teammate uh, for about a year, I think it was. What's going on? Yeah, man. I remember how you doing, man. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So, good. listen, uh, I got to ask you because. And I tried to look it up a little bit. I couldn't really find a, a, a really good answer. But I remember you, obviously, back in 2010, you had a great career. Uh, you had a great season, excuse me. And mm-hmm. then you go to St. Louis, and then you come back to Jacksonville for a short period of time. Like, what exactly happened throughout those couple years? I mean, and what did it feel like? Because I feel like it was kind of out of your control, right? Yeah, well, so, so when I got to St. Louis, that was a year of lockout. Uh, so we didn't really have an offseason or anything. We had brand-new coaches and uh, I guess when the training camp started, that's when all the football stuff started. So we didn't know any, nobody had to jump on the playbook or anything. Um, it was just kind of unorganized. It was, it was, it was kind of bad. It was kind of a late start for everybody, especially with new players, new coaches, um, you know, new draft picks. You know, we just, we just weren't that good that year. Uh, I think we lost the first six or seven games, um, trying to implement a team and bond together, hadn't been around each other ever, actually. And we just weren't that good. And, uh, you know how it goes. Somebody had to take the fall. And I feel like I was one of the guys who took the fall, which is, which, which was fine. Um, part of the game. And then the next day, I mean, it was a, it wasn't even 24 hours, Jacksonville called it. It was a great situation. I actually never wanted to leave Jacksonville in the first place. Uh, I didn't have to, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I have to learn a whole new playbook and do all that stuff. So it was just, it, you know, it was a great fit. I could fit right in and start to play, and play all the way. So. That's what happened. Um, I think I played maybe a game and a half and hurt my knee again for the like a hundred times in a row. And then I think I told him when this case was out for the season, had microfracture surgery. And from there on, I just, my knee was never the same. Yeah, microfracture surgery is a really tough one. Uh, four, three, yeah. five coming out of school in the 40. Uh, Mike Sims Walker, former Jags receiver. You know, speaking of injuries, how tough was the start of your career? I mean, you get drafted in the third round and you, you have to miss the entire season. A little reminiscent of a guy like even Dante Fowler Jr. happened to him his rookie season, uh, toward the ACL and missed the entire year. How tough is that as a rookie, uh, to, 
as you're trying to get acclimated, be a pro, trying to make an impact, and bam, your season's over by the end of the preseason? I mean, it's tough. It's very tough, especially mentally. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, especially when you're drafting in the third round. There's a lot of expectations being brought upon you. You you know, to go out there and get hurt. Actually, I'm coming off the knee during my senior in college and, you know, get to the NFL and my 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 rookie year, I get hurt again. And, you know, I mean, you never want to start, you know, behind eight ball or start bad. And I kind of did that. And I think that kind of just, you know, that was kind of like my story throughout the whole NFL. You know, I had some. Had a good season or two here, but it always an injury always came upon and kind of kind of put a dagger into it. And uh, you know, but I, that's part of the game, man. I don't, you know, I couldn't control that stuff. Uh, just take it for what it was. I'm still blessed to be able to play five years. You know, I, I mean, Jacksonville's forever home, and you know, it's just it's cool, man. It's, that's how it goes sometimes. I just had a bad enough stick. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, sometimes you just get the tough breaks on that. We've seen that with so many, unfortunately, uh, here in Jacksonville, and it happens in the NFL. It's a violent game. What changed for you, though, in 2009? Well, 2008, you kind of settle in. You got, I think it was like 16 reception season, so it's just here or there. But then 2009, uh, 60-something catches. Why did things go so well? Why were you able to perform at the level um, you did? Two things. I was healthy, uh, finally. Uh, actually, I started that season with a, a high ankle sprain, I think the first game I, I barely played, and then I think Trey Williamson got hurt, and I, and I came in and you know finally got the opportunity. And then outside of being healthy, Troy uh, Hope, a uh, guy came in and you know vet, veteran, good guy who you know helped me be a pro and you know how to take care of my body and you know all that stuff. He was a big impact on on that year and also the next year also, but he. That was so staying healthy and Torrey Holt was probably the two main things that helped me flourish. That's, pre- that's pretty cool because that's one of the reasons they brought Torrey Holt in for guys like you and to, to, to teach uh, the young guys the ropes. And and by the way, backstory: Torrey Holt has the most screwed up finger you'll ever see. No question, <laughs> we take out him all the time. It's disgusting. He just never, I mean, he just won't get surgery. So he's like, he just walk around like it's normal. He does it. He used his hand, and everything to put on lotion. He's just like, what is? Going on? <laughs> I mean, he's literally bro- he's must have broken the finger like twelve times. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's just not right. But I run into well, Tory Holt now because you know. he does some media stuff. Yeah, and so we'll see him at the mm-hmm. draft or Super Bowl. He he's a he's a cool dude, just a, a man, really he's a good great dude. dude, man. He was very vital to my little the little success I did have. Uh, Mike, I got to ask you. So, like, as we've been doing this series the past couple of weeks, I always kind of bring up a memory of what I remember in the locker room or on the field from the players that we're interviewing and. Um, with you, one thing stands out more than anything to me, and this started back actually when I was in college back in 2010, and I was playing Madden. And back mm-hmm. then, playing Madden, you know, they had this, they had like the end zone celebrations, and of course, when you right. played with the Jaguars, it was you doing the Chopper City Juke. So I remember it was one of the very first games of the season, and uh, and I wasn't suiting up yet; I was on the sidelines. I, you know, I was I wasn't playing yet, and I remember you scored a touchdown. You did the Chopper City Juke, man. I'm like, man, I got chills because you know I finally got to see it in person. So my question to you is, where did it come from? Where did the inspiration come from? And uh, were you surprised kind of like how big it took off from there? Yeah, it was, actually. So it came from, I mean, it's an Orlando thing. So it's a, it's a city, a little town in Orlando called Pine Hills. And, and I guess I've seen it on YouTube, and it just kind of went viral a little bit. So everybody was doing it from Orlando. So if you was from Orlando, you just everybody do it, no matter where you go. And, you know, it's my thing, you know, trying to put my city on the map. Um, I'm from there, so, you know try to be where I'm from and just put my city on the map and then to see it take off like that, that's actually the first personal 
touchdown celebration on Madden. So for us to, for me to, you know, be, that's kind of like my claim to fame now. I ain't got much, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty up. So, yeah, it was like Chris Johnson did it too, right? Yeah, and then you just start seeing everybody. Everybody in college, you just start seeing it everywhere. And that was, just, and Jacoby Jones started doing it. It just, it just kind of took off. And it was awesome. Yeah, you were before your time a little bit in that sense. I mean, everybody's been doing some kind of celebration. Some, uh, you know, the NFL put a, a ban on some of them for a while, and now they've opened yeah. it back up. And now this touchdown celebration is like a thing, right? It's like it's orchestrated. It, there's no, choreography involved. No question, man. It ain't easy to get in the end zone, man. When you get in that, man, you want to celebrate, man. You put in a lot of work and time and practice and meeting and stuff to, for that one moment, and you just don't want to just toss the ball to the ref. You want to kind of have fun with it. So speaking of, uh, you mentioned college a little bit. You've, you grew up with a guy uh, by the name of Brandon Marshall at wide receiver as well. How didn't you guys win more games with Brandon Marshall and yourself uh, to, to throw the ball to? Uh, because we played DB uh, my sophomore year, his junior year. So we were actually on defense. Uh, okay. Uh, we had a lot of seniors get hurt on, on, our, on our back end in the secondary. So, you know, Coach O'Leary at the time, you know, brought us in. And, hey, man, we go. I got you know, I got some older guys that receiver that we can use, and we pretty much need y'all more on defense and offense. Or, you know, we just needed us to be on the field, and we had more time, more playing time on D. It was a no-brainer for us, whatever we needed to do to help the team. And, I mean, we just had a lot of injuries that year. We were playing true freshmen out. We had probably played about four or five true freshmen. We were young, but then the year following, we we both moved back to receiver and went to our first ever bowl game. And then y'all know from CF now, oh yeah, one of the top schools in the in the, in the country. So. It just flourished. Well, and I got to ask you, actually, so the very first UCF game I ever watched, I believe, was from your senior year when you played in Marshall, and that was when, like, the whole We Are Marshall movie came out, and, yeah, it, exactly. and it was on yeah, primetime television. Yeah, yeah Matthew McConaughey kind of was on the sidelines. Like, side I remember the game. I remember you guys beat him. So, like, yeah, we beat him on the last minute field goal, I think. Exactly, exactly. What was that environment like, though? What was that environment like, though, playing in that? <laughs> it was crazy, especially because the movie that just came out. It was an ESPN game at night. Uh, the atmosphere was crazy. It felt like we were in the SEC or something. Yeah. How proud of you are of what UCF has kind of become? I mean, look at the stadium now. Look what they did the last couple of years. Uh, the coaches. The I mean, it's I, I say this about UCF, and I know we have a lot of Knights fans out the, that like to listen, and I like to give them some love because I love what they did. I love what they did with the whole national championship thing. I think it was genius. Um, I also believe if they could get themselves in a Power Five, they would be a big time player on the national scene. I don't know if anybody's going to let them in, or if uh, a realignment will allow that sometime down the road. But if they can get into a Power Five, I think they can play with anybody, especially being in the middle of this state. But how proud of you of, of what's gone on there the last few years? Man, I'm very proud to see where when I got there, what it was. That, I mean, I went from probably was not even a thousand square feet, and you know, what I mean, just to see the, 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 all the stuff that's going on around the school. And I get there, it's like a whole new town, and I don't even know how to get to the football facility. To, you see, see our guys just to be having some kind of tradition to walk around the airport or the grocery store and see all the UCF stuff. And I live in Atlanta, and I see it. Just to see the, the proud alumni of the school, the tradition we've built. I mean, it's just a proud moment for us. And hopefully, we can just keep building this program up higher and higher. And like you said, I, there's no question we prove we can play. We play with anybody. Um, we 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 compete against so-called the top two or three teams in the SEC. And, we won one, and you know, I mean, we had a lot of we had a quarterback hurt the second one. But needless to say, it's not a question we can play with anybody. Uh, we just need we just need a chance at this point.
All right. Well, you might have failed on the recruiting front for UCF. I mean, how did you not get your nephew who plays Sandalwood High School, four-star guy? <laughs> He's going to Florida yeah. State. You couldn't get him to yeah. UCF. Uh, tell us a little bit about Jeff Sims. He looks he like was, he's going to be a good one. Yeah, he was. He, I mean, we talked a lot. He was about to actually pull the trigger. About to pull the trigger. I kind of told him to be patient. I mean, I know it was, it's, it's my school. I love him to death. But, you know, I still want him to make the best decision for him. I don't want him to do it for me and just because I went there. Um, and he loved Florida State. I guess that's one of like his dream schools to play at. Uh, the kid is a great player, but awesome kid. Uh, I'm just excited for him. And crazy thing, when I was playing in Jacksonville, he was living with me. <laughs> was he really? Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I said, hey, Mike, I said this to Austin when we were talking about Jeff uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, because on the TV side, we did a series last year on our Friday night high school show, Friday night blitz, where we followed him and Carson Beck, who's another star quarterback around for every week. And so yeah. we were doing some fun things with with both kids. And I said to Austin, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he, Jeff Sims was in the locker room at times he, and, and around the football field. Yeah, absolutely, he's been in there a few times, but he, he probably don't even remember because he's probably about, I don't know, about six or seven years old. But he's he's been in that locker room plenty of times. He's come in there all seasons and during the seasons and after the games. And yeah, he was living with me, and you know, so he probably won't remember that stuff, but. Yeah, he, he remember living with me, but he probably remember going in the locker room. Yeah, see, is that's uh, I know he's your nephew, but is it more kind of like proud papa kind of guy uh, with him? His dad is, you know, his dad is my brother. Yeah, yeah, my brother. But do you have that feel too, a little bit? Like he's almost your absolutely. own. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Just to see where he came from, because I remember, you know, he come home and I used to make him do his homework, and you know, he played pool and all season, whatever it was. Just to see where he was growing as a little boy to the man he's becoming and. The kid he is now, it's just like, man, it's a proud thing that I'm glad I had something to do with it or was a part of it. Mike, now that you've, you've had some time to reflect on, on your NFL career, and obviously you had some devastating injuries that probably cost you a couple seasons, but what's the biggest thing that you can take away from your time in the NFL? Um, Don't take it for granted, man. Just take advantage of every opportunity. Uh, it'll end quick. Awesome. I'm sure you know that, too. Oh, yeah. But just enjoy it, man. Live it. Uh, don't have no regrets. Let me ask you one last thing, then we'll let you run. Uh, Mike Sims, walk over to this former Jags uh, receiver. When they w- when they won big in 2017, you guys had, unfortunately, uh, with the exception of 2010, were part of some not-so-great times, uh, although while you were hurt your first year, 2007 wasn't bad, mm-hmm. Mike. Um, but you also the, you kind of rode that roller coaster where it struggles. As a fan now or as an alum and watching 2017, and you could probably even sense the excitement in this city that people had been waiting for for so long, what was that like to watch? Oh, man, I was excited, man. Uh, and I'm definitely a fan. I'm grandfathered in. I'm Jack for life. <laughs> but it was exciting, man, to finally see something surf. You know, we had some dying years. Uh, but to finally see it, especially I was happy for Blake. You know, because he's been taking a beating, yeah. you know, especially in the media for long. And no one believed him for him to perform that year. You know, carry that team that far. And honestly, that was a Super Bowl team. I mean, we should have been in the Super Bowl. That was some very bad play calling on the ref part. But that's neither here nor there. But I was happy for it. the city, man, especially because, man, I know it's tough to be a Jaguar fan, especially these past 10 years. So to get that far and be that close, honestly, probably if they they call it a fumble and allow Zach score. We're probably be a Super Bowl football team right now. Yeah, how about that? So, 
That would have been something. Uh, Mike Sims Walker, former Jags receiver. Good to catch up with you, man. I hope you're coming back this fall to uh, celebrate the 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You were part of a few of them. I'll definitely be there, man. Great to hear from you guys. Appreciate you. All All right. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Mike Sims Walker, uh, former Jags receiver, a third-round pick back in 2007, and uh, a career that got cut short by injuries. That microfracture surgery, tough. Yeah, yeah. Especially on a guy that's got to cut back and forth. Uh, It was interesting, and I knew that a little bit about him. He played some defensive back in college. Yeah, yeah, and I think I had knew that, but I, I forgot about that. That's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty good footwork then. Obviously, <laughs> also shows, I mean, it's so talented. You know, I saw Javi Baez today, Cubs superstar, taking yep. swings left-handed. It's like what people forget is just how good athletes like you guys are, guys yeah. that make it. It's like, you know, we talk about this even. You can go pick up, watch a YouTube video, pick up a golf club and... and Hit it, hit it straight one hit, out of 20 times. And, and beat coups. <laughs> oh, and then beat coups for sure. For sure. Did, did you, could you switch hit or not? Could you hit both ways? No, but I never really tried because you don't, you don't really, if you're already left-handed, yeah. there's really no reason to switch hit. Oh, I guess that makes sense. You know, yeah, it's mostly right. righties that turn around and switch to the left side. Sure. I mean, I shouldn't say no reason, Yeah. but it's usually well, the other way. I'll tell you what, you're pretty good at hitting golf club right-handed. I'll, I'll give you that much. Well, I get plenty of practice of that. I got I you. don't have that lefty stance, so i got to <laughs> turn the club around and swing righty. Uh, good to catch up with Mike Sims Walker. That was great. Uh, a couple more of these to go uh, the last couple of days of June, but it's really been fun uh, to catch up with so many former Jags players. There are a lot of them. <laughs> Obviously, uh, but maybe we'll continue in the uh, month of July as well. One final segment, stay in your lane, and uh, we'll hear from Mike White next on ESPN 690. I like our backcourt. We've got a lot to prove in our frontcourt, but uh, you wish you were a little bit more experienced in your backcourt. That said, we've got some good pieces. We've got depth in our backcourt, and we've got talent in our backcourt. That's Mike White, Florida Gators uh, head basketball coach, and he should like his backcourt. they got plenty of talent back there. Front court wise let's see what they do. I, again, I said it yesterday. Um, Mike White was in town last night talking to the Gator Club, and he was out in Fleming Island. Uh, we had some stuff on TV, CBS 47 and Fox 30 with that, and we'll have more uh, this coming weekend on Action Sports Jacks Primetime. But I think uh, this is going to be a nice little stretch for Mike White and the Florida Gators. I think they've got a real chance these next uh, couple of years. Uh, Nebhard back and, and all the talent coming in, five stars. I mean, there's a really good vibe from a roster standpoint. Uh, and I, I already have admitted that I'm a fan of Mike White. I think he's a good, good basketball coach. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Florida Gators. Uh, tonight, winner take all, college baseball. Vanderbilt, Michigan. Yeah. It's been a good series. And again, I think it's hard to, who do you root for in this? I mean, Austin Martin obviously is a Trinity guy. So I, I'd, I'd love to see the kid win it, a local guy. But Michigan is a fun team to root for. You just, you just don't get Northern teams winning national championships in baseball. So uh, the fact that they have this spot today. And you know, I've been waiting for the juice to run out on Michigan. They're like, okay, when's the ride over? Uh, you know, they were preseason, I think, 17th in the country. But they were one of the final four teams in the NCAA tournament. So they actually disappointed during the regular season. So I, we shouldn't have been sleeping on them this whole time. And uh, now we'll see if they can win it all by beating Vandy. Uh, here tonight, that uh, first pitch is just about an hour away. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos here. One more segment. Stay in your lane for the first time in three days. You've been bumped two days yeah, in a row. Yeah. Not today. Thankfully, this stuff's still pretty topical because I haven't really uh, updated this stay in your lane. It's been it's been marinating since Monday. So <laughs> I ask you guys, please uh, 
please come with me here. And made for the easy homework assignment. Very easy homework. I mean, it is kind of refreshing just to be like, eh, I'll just save for tomorrow and yeah. not have to do any homework on it. We so. call that mailing it in. Okay, well, that's what I'm doing, man. <laughs> air, air mailing it in. Uh, Brent, Goose Control, have you ever seen the show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? You know, I haven't really, I, I shouldn't say I haven't seen it, but okay. I, I wouldn't be able to just sit there okay. and tell you. I've heard of it, I've seen a little bit, okay. but no, I'm not a uh, an habitual viewer. Well, let me just say, if you don't watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you are doing TV wrong. Um, it's always it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Started out as a, as a cult favorite, basically the mm-hmm. first couple seasons, and now has turned into one of the most popular comedies on cable television. Uh, being set in Philly, obviously the show occasionally will get with the Flyers or the Eagles, or sometimes the Phillies are involved. Uh, one popular scene from the show is one of the main characters, Mac, wanting to have a catch with his favorite baseball player. Uh, check out the audio here. Dear Chase, I feel like I can call you Chase because you and me are so much alike. Really, I would love to meet you someday. It would be great to have a catch. I know I can't throw as fast as you, but I think you would be impressed with my speed. I love your hair. You run fast. Did you have a good relationship with your father? Me neither. These are all things we can talk about and more. I know you have not been getting my letters because I know you would write back if you did. And I hope you write back this time and we get to be good friends. I am sure our relationship would be a real home run. So in the scene, Mac is writing a letter to his favorite baseball player, Chase Ali, um, wanting to hang out with him. Well, this past Friday, it finally came to fruition as Mac got to have his uh, his so cherished catch with Chase Utley. This happened during the Phillies baseball game. Obviously, the actor participated in it, and uh, much to the Phillies fans' um, delight. I did see that. Yeah, that, that had happened. Yeah, was this like pretty cool. Pitch perfect moment for. This yeah. guy and Chase. Huckley. I mean, you know what? It really brought the show for full circle. So it was a pretty cool scene, uh, to say the least. So what you, what you got for pump your brakes? Well, pump your brakes, and once again, it's a couple of days old, but this is still really topical, and I want to get into it. Um, listen, Brent, I'm thankful to have a job in sports radio. It's a blast, um, and I understand a lot of the job is interacting and networking with with other, um, you know, sports co-hosts and, and talk show hosts. But listen, I can't come with. Kevin Keitzman uh, at eight one. I'm sorry, eight one zero WHB in Kansas City. Here's what he said about Andy Reid, real quick. Andy Reid does not have a great record of fixing players. He doesn't. Discipline is not his thing. It did not work out particularly well in his family life, and that needs to be added to this. As we're talking about the Chiefs, he wasn't real great at that either. He's had a lot of things go bad on him, family and players. He is not good at fixing people. He is not good at discipline. That is not his strength. His strength is designing football plays. So for those of you bad that, moment. For those that you don't understand, Andy Reid's son passed away from a from a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And listen, um Mr. Keitzman, sir, I understand that you're trying to get views. And listen, I'm talking about it right now on our show. So congratulations. You did your job of spreading your brand, if you want to call it that. But what cost did it come at? It came at the cost of you um, talking about a fantastic coach, Andy Reid, and bringing up um, his son who, who who passed away due to a drug overdose. There's some things you shouldn't um, do to try to get likes, to try to get clicks. And I think bringing up family members who have passed away is definitely one of them. Yeah, so pump your brakes, man. Yeah, that host has been suspended. That's in the latest so, thing. So supposedly right? he's going to be suspended. Yeah, uh, I mean, suspended that's, that's kind of talk. Yeah, um, yes, supposedly. And by the way, you played for Andy Reid. I did, you man. Love it? And one, one of the salt of the earth best dudes you could ever play for. You know, um, as far as X's and O's and just being a player's coach, man, uh, he's one of the best. And um, just like one of the guys, you yeah. know. So I have nothing but respect for Andy Reid. And when I heard those comments, um, it definitely made me upset. Hey, uh, real quick, we're going to give away some tickets. 
WrestleCon tickets, yes. WrestleCon tickets, 904-362-9901 or star star 690. Yep. 904-362-9901 or star star 690. WrestleCon this weekend. This we're weekend, giving away tickets. Give us a buzz. We'll give them away. Simple as that. Make sure you check us out on TV, Fox 30 and CBS 47, and we're back at it. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 tomorrow afternoon.